Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Here we go, a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bass live on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Would it be? Would it be? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there? We got, holy moly, we got a team in the finals. The sweep. We got a sweep last night. The refs tried to get that game to game five, but they failed. They failed. They tried, but they failed. Lakers up 15. Here come the Nuggets. Nuggets come back on the road last night, and they beat the L.A. Lakers. Sweep them in four straight. Uh, I thought last night the Lakers had a shot, and they did. I mean, they're up 15. I thought the officials would keep them in the game. They tried. Um, LeBron was unbelievable last night. Nuggets rally from 15 down at halftime in the game. They sweep the Lakers to advance to the finals. For the first time in 47-year history of the franchise, the Denver Nuggets are in the NBA Finals. No NBA franchise has gone longer or won more playoff games than the Nuggets have. This has been a pretty good franchise. It's been a pretty solid team over the last, you know, really since Jokic has turned into the Joker, if you will, right? Him and Embiid were drafted in the same draft class. Embiid number three overall. Jokic was a second-round pick. Since 2014, the Nuggets have kind of turned the franchise around a little bit, and not because Jokic was an MVP candidate right from Jump Street. I think he only averaged like 10 points a game as a rookie. He slowly built himself into an elite-level player. And look, let's make no mistake about it, Jokic is an elite player. He is just, you know, you watch him play, and I say, you don't compare Joel Embiid to Nikola Jokic. They're not the same players. They're only the same players in stature. They're both seven feet tall, about 280 pounds. But Jokic is just a crafty, savvy, smart veteran. I mean, 30 points, 14 rebounds, 30 assists, uh, 30, 13 assists, a steal, three blocks, three threes. He is a more well-rounded offensive talent than Joel Embiid is, and that's okay. They're different. Jokic is a more perimeter-minded guy who can do things around the basket. He has awkwardness to his game that is almost beautiful, Right? His awkwardness is almost beautiful when you watch him. He does things falling this way and that way and off one foot and just looks like so awkward, but he's so savvy. Now, he's not a great defensive player. I mean, let's be honest. He is what he is on the defensive end of the floor. He, he's not very good. He's not very good. Um, 
And that's where the conversation within beat comes in. We live in a society that only cares about offense. Nobody cares about defense ever. So everybody's watching these playoffs and saying, why is Jokic not the MVP over Embiid? You know, Embiid scores more points than he does. Offensively, he's actually, you know, a more efficient player sometimes than Jokic. Jokic is just more well-rounded as an offensive player. He does more things for everybody else. He also has better talent around him. You get 14 uh, assists because you've got a guy like Murray and Porter and Brown banging, uh, knocking down shots. That being said, if you're picking a player offensively, you're picking Jokic over Embiid. No question. And we're going to talk about this a little later, about what this does for Jokic and stuff. But on the other side of things, have we seen the end of LeBron? Wow. For the first time, have we thought about a world that might not have an NBA season without LeBron James in it? This guy has been a fixture in our lives for 20 years. I want to ask this question for people. Do you remember where you were for LeBron's first game? I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing. It was one of those things where I want to see this kid play. I don't remember any player getting the LeBron treatment. He got more hype than any player I can ever manage. imagine, and he lived up to it. You might not be a huge LeBron fan. I'm not the biggest LeBron fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I surely respect the man. And to say to me, he is maybe the greatest player I ever saw. I'm a Jordan guy. I think Jordan probably would be my pick. But I have no problem putting LeBron in the conversation for the greatest, most unbelievably impactful player that I ever saw. Now, that doesn't mean, like, you could be the best player. LeBron probably is more physically talented than almost any player I've ever seen for his size and the skill set that he has. The problem with LeBron, you know, when you match him up with certain things, like, he's not the greatest shooter we ever saw. You know, when you combine all his things... You know, he's not, he doesn't have a great three point shot. He never really has. Michael didn't really have a great three point shot, by the way, but the shot wasn't really as prevalent in that game. You know, LeBron is just so big and physically imposing that he is able, because of the size he has and the speed and the power, that he is able to kind of power his way through people. Like the shot that he missed last night to end that game, he gets the ball off the inbounds, he takes the ball to the basket. I think in his prime, LeBron would have probably got a way to get that ball up towards the basket. And I'm not saying last night he's not as big and physical because he is. I just felt like a guy who was just tired. And he just, like the way that game ended, he doesn't even get the shot up. And he just literally, almost like a statue, stood there and was like walked off the court and just could not believe that he couldn't even get a shot up. But... After the game, LeBron James really stated that he's unsure if he'll play next season. The betting odds, by the way, are out. Will LeBron James retire? Plus 550, yes. Minus 1,000, no. So they obviously think that he will be back next season. But here was LeBron James after the game last night, 
it was not on anybody's mind, I would imagine. And LeBron said this. We'll see, we'll see what happens going forward. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. And um, just for me personally, going, going forward with the game of basketball, I got a lot to think about. Wow. Is LeBron James really telling us that he's considering or thinking about retiring? You know, I always think about this sometimes when you have a player of that magnitude. Tom Brady, LeBron James. There's very, 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 very few that are in this stratosphere. LeBron's one of them. Tom Brady's another. In fact, I don't know that one is currently playing other than those two. Where they are almost bigger than the game itself. Where you almost think that playing these games becomes trivial for them. You know, LeBron, at this stage of his career, with everything he's accomplished and how good he is, he almost feels like the kid who's too good to be playing at a certain level. And you're like, why is this guy out here? He's too good. Like, LeBron seems like just... The, the, the like the NBA doesn't have enough to offer him that there should be a league for higher quality player. And what's he doing out there slumming it up in this league? You know what I'm saying? Like you watch him play and here's this guy who is so much more accomplished than everybody else, has so much more money than everybody else, is so much more famous than everybody else, and yet He has to be subjected to playing with all these, like, schlep rocks, if you will. You know, he's got to deal with uh, the clown from Memphis telling him, you're old. Yeah, I'm old. I have more money. I have more championships. I have more everything than you, buddy. And I'm still better than you and your loser team. And it's like, do I want to be subjected to having to play with these punk kids who don't know anything about what I've done and accomplished in this league? You're just trying to come after me because I'm now a 38-year-old guy who's maybe not the same player I was at 35. Because let's be honest, at 35, LeBron was still pretty damn good. And by the way, at 38, he's still really, 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 really good. But does LeBron James get to the point in his mind where I am in his mind? Look, I'm not thinking for LeBron, but I'm jumping inside LeBron's head. Do I still want to be LeBron James who has to go to practice and playing these games. Like, at what point does the game almost become beneath you? That you have outgrown the game. You know, the issue becomes for many of these players is this is all you've ever done. This is all you know. Your routine. Athletes are creatures of habit. At what point is LeBron ready to move on to a different habit? He could keep playing. There's no question LeBron James could keep playing. Does he still want to go through an 82-game slog? The fans have minimized the regular season. Does LeBron get juiced up about playing on Christmas Day? Like, is that still exciting for him? I can't imagine. Does LeBron care about being on the Thursday night TNT doubleheader? Of course not. Like, what else is there out there? Making it to the conference finals to him is beneath him. Playing against the Cleveland, now he is from Cleveland, he probably still enjoys going home, pick another team. Playing against the Atlanta Hawks on Tuesday night in February, 
this little broad James, like, you're bigger than that. Right? LeBron's bigger than playing the Atlanta Hawks on Tuesday night in February. So has that really got to him? Has that entered his mind? Like, I'm LeBron James, and I'm out here playing against this clown? Like, to the point where the league isn't at his standard of player. You know, you saw Michael Jordan out there. How old was he in his Washington days? And you're watching him, and he's still able to score, and he's still able to be, like, an impactful player, but he couldn't help the team be better anymore. And that is where it's like, I'm still really good. Nobody else is on my level. These kids, everybody thinks they're really good. You're not on my level. So Jordan was 38, 39 his last two seasons with Washington. Is LeBron looking around at a league that is just deteriorating before his very eyes? And he's like, you know what? I don't want to be associated with this anymore. I don't need this. I can go own a team in Vegas. I can just go hang out for the rest of my life doing whatever I want. Dave McMenamin, ESPN's Lakers reporter, does he think LeBron James might be serious about retiring? There's also the idea that, hey, he's never made a comment like this before, and this isn't a natural break. He's still in a contract for next season. He has a player option of the season after that. It's not like he's a free agent and it's the time where you take stock of things and you assess things. Uh, he has certainly had a wild ride with this Lakers team from 2-10 and 10 to being swept in the conference finals. And he's going to take some stock of, of where his life is going to go with his basketball career this summer. Yeah, he has a contract and then he has a player option. So essentially he could play for L.A. for two more seasons. So how do you go from I'm contemplating my future, my basketball future, to also having two years left on the deal? Could it be what I'm saying is I don't know if I want to do this anymore because of where I am. I'm on a team that's not very good. Let's be honest. The Lakers team, I thought they did a good job of getting themselves to this point. I said this back at the trade deadline. I really liked the moves that they made. But some of the moves they made were not as impactful as we thought. Going to get D'Angelo Russell. Well, he was basically out of the rotation by the playoffs. This kid, Austin Reeves, who the heck know where he came from? He's an unrestricted, uh, no, he's a restricted free agent. You might have teams lining up to try to get him. I mean, this Lakers team made a run, but does LeBron look around and say, is this really the team I really want to be a part of? I don't know. Is he serious about it? Well, Dave McMenamin, ESPN Lakers reporter, this is what LeBron James told him. I walked out of the arena with him and I asked him, what were you trying to leave for us in terms of a breadcrumb trail? What thread should we be trying to pull when it comes to you saying you have a lot to think about? And he said, uh, whether I want to continue to play. And I said, as in next year? He said, yeah. I said, so you would walk away? And he said, that's what I got to think about. And certainly... Those are some heavy words coming out of the mouth of the game's all-time leading scorer who just dropped 40 on the Denver Nuggets, played all but four seconds in game four. But certainly he's at a point, a crossroads of his career, and I've covered him for a while. I've never heard him speak like this before. None of us have. None of us have ever heard LeBron James or even thought that it was entering his mind. In fact, sometimes you watch him play, 
and you almost wonder, man, how many more years is this guy actually going to continue to be able to play at this level? You know, the way he played last night, scoring 40 in 40, he played all but, what, four seconds, I think, McMenamin said. You're watching a guy where you cannot even picture a league without him. And I was like, man, I could see this guy still going for, like, another five more years. But LeBron tells him last night, like, yeah, I have to think about it. I don't, I don't really know. And then you hear what Dave said. Think about this. He's the all-time scoring leader. He accomplished that. So what does he have to go out and prove? He's never going to catch Michael. He can't do that. Now, he can win as many championships as Michael. He has five if he won next year and the year after. That's asking a lot, is it not? So it's kind of far-fetched to think that LeBron is ever going to catch Michael Jordan in terms of rings. He's already never going to be able to surpass him or equal him in his record in the NBA Finals. So what else is left for LeBron James to do in the NBA? That is where I think I can see a guy with tremendous greatness pondering, do I really want to, what else do I have to achieve? What else do I have to chase? Now, there's been talk about him playing with his son. You know, even that, like, you can't guarantee that. I mean, he could be a free agent in two seasons and I guess sign with whatever team, you know, he wants to. But what else is there for LeBron? A guy who is polarizing. Some think he's the greatest. Some think that uh, he might be number two. Uh, I, I, I don't like the people who think you're being hating on LeBron because you think he's the second greatest player you ever saw in your entire life. Like, oh, my God, how dare you think he's only the second greatest player of all time? I never got that as a knock on LeBron. Some people value different things. To me, Michael was not only the greatest this, that, and the other, he was the greatest competitor. He was the greatest winner. You know, some people will say Bill Russell. I have a kind of a cutoff of, you know, for me, for guys that I've seen. I never saw Bill Russell play, so I don't usually like to encapsulate a guy who I never saw with my own two eyes. I don't think that's fair to anybody. I never saw you play. How can I also say, if I've never seen you, that I think you're the best? So the guys that I've seen play, Michael was the most competitive player I ever saw. He won every single championship round he ever played in. And, oh, by the way, he was an awesome player. So put those things all together, I think it's tough to knock that guy off the top. I don't think it matters if LeBron is one or two on your list. If you think LeBron James is the greatest player you ever saw, I'm not going to say, oh, how dare you. But when you, like, talk about Jokic and Embiid, it's not just Jokic is a more skilled player than Embiid. It is... Hey, he's a more skilled player, but Embiid's like the next big skilled big guy, and it's not that far of a cry to say, hey, they're both equal type of scorers, but Embiid's a way more impactful defensive player. That has to stand for something. Same with LeBron. He's a very good defensive player. He's a excellent, you know, uh the the thing that about LeBron, I always talked about if LeBron James played when Michael played. He'd be Carl Malone. He's like a 6'8 power forward playing with his back to the basket. The fact that LeBron got to play in this era allowed him to be something that a Carl Malone wasn't allowed to be. Who knows if Carl Malone could come down with a handle and be an open court kind of player. We never saw that style of basketball. But Carl Malone 
and LeBron James are about the same size of player, but totally different type of players. Here's Tim Legler, his thoughts on LeBron's kind of cryptic post-game message about his future. What did Legs think? Worst time for any athlete to be asked a question like that, right? The frustration of losing. This is a guy that only lives to play on the biggest stage and to have a chance to compete for championships. That's all that matters to LeBron James. So in the moment, he's frustrated. He's disappointed. He's going to be watching at home like a lot of people. He's going to have to watch the finals. He's going to have to watch his peers move on and have another star player compete for a championship. There's no question in my mind LeBron James is coming back, and I don't think he's going to play another game, in my opinion, anywhere else but a Lakers uniform the rest of the way. But right now, in the moment, he's deflated, he's defeated, he's tired. Let him get to the offseason a few weeks removed from the finals, and, and you'll see a different tone, I think, out of LeBron. I agree with Legler. I think he'll play. I think he'll be a Laker. And I definitely think that um, he just needs some time after the loss. But I've always had that thought in my mind of when I watch a Tom Brady and he's out there playing for a horrible Buccaneers team. And I'm like, you're Tom Brady, dude. Do you really need to keep doing this? And I know this is all they know. But sometimes you just feel out of place. You feel too good. <laughs> you know, it's like that one kid, one, I'm saying the one kid, who he's just so much better than everybody else. And you're like, what is this guy doing here? He's just way too good to be out here. That feels like LeBron sometimes when you're watching him with the guys around him. Like, he just almost feels out of place. Like, you're bigger and better than, like, the league doesn't have any more to offer you. Uh, this is of, of interest to people who like betting odds. Josh... I'll ask you. You like to lay a wager down here or there. Yeah, you know, when it makes sense. Sure. LeBron James' next team, if not the Lakers, who are the favorites? Um, I will tell you this. There is a list of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 teams on the list that have betting odds. You can go right now to a book and bet on LeBron James' next team if it's not the Lakers. 25 to 1 is the highest number, and the favorite is 3 to 1. Are the Cavs on the list? Cleveland is 7 to 1. They are on the list at number 4. Because that was the first one I thought of because, I mean, it's home. There's a comfort level there. Back for a third time. You know, and why not? You know, I mean, Ricky Henderson played with the A's four times, for goodness sake. So there's a, there's a legend. You're right? reading the Ricky Henderson book? Yeah, I'm almost done. It's actually a very interesting book, by the way. Okay. Um, they're on the list. They're number four. They're on the list. All right. I mean, how many times have we heard a rumor about the Knicks? The Knicks are the favorite, three to oh, one. The favorite. They oh, are wow. three to one. They are the favorite to be his next team, if not the Lakers. Okay. Very I mean, there could be this thought that LeBron has won his title in L.A. Right. He surpassed Kareem scoring in L.A. In LA yep. There's nothing more for me to accomplish with this franchise. If I want to keep playing in the league. Maybe my next challenge to keep me having that inner fire is to go to a Knicks team that hasn't won, you know, right. since the 70s. Maybe that's something that will get me excited right. about playing basketball again. Right. So you, you mentioned Cleveland. Will I get excited for my last Bon Voyage to go home for a third time? Right. Great. Second one, the Knicks. 
is that a challenge to try to be the guy who gets the Knicks that championship? I would think that's a good one. My next one on off the top of my head would be the Warriors. The Warriors are on the list. They're nine to one. Okay, so not that far down. No, they are one, two, three, four, five, sixth on the list. Right, they're behind the Cavs. Yeah, I don't know what the uh, inner fire would be though of playing with that team. Well, to me, it's you know you him can't and, beat them, join them. Well, it's the idea of a although him he did beat them. He already beat them. Yeah, it's the idea that you know if if the Warriors are going through this off season of like upheaval with the roster. That you know, maybe part of the reformatting of the roster is LeBron and Steph playing. Do next they become to each other. the Lakers who have Gary Payton, Carl Malone? <laughs> who else was on that team? I think LeBron right now is better than Payton and Malone was. That yeah, point. I'm just saying. You know my point. I think Steph Curry, by the way, is better than that group of guys. Who else was on that team? It was Gary Payton, Carl, Carl Malone. Malone, Shaq, Kobe. And Rick Fox. No, it was Derek Fisher. Derek Fisher was the other. And they got the swept, I think, in the first round. Uh, well, that that team that was a team that lost, I believe, to the Pistons in the NBA Finals, wasn't it? Maybe, but the next year, I think the last year they were together, I think they got right, swept the, out. The other year they were playing together. Yeah. So you got the Knicks, the Cavs, the Warriors. So far, yeah, I got some names here. How how about this for a name? I'm I'm kind of just you know throwing it out there. What about the Bulls? The Bulls are 20 to 1. Okay, so now that's an interesting one though. Like, hey, what, I could be the guy, Michael won all these. I get compared to Michael all the right. time. Exactly. But what if I'm the guy who does what only Michael could do? Right. Yeah, cause he already he broke the scoring title with Kareem there. What if he wins a title with the team that Jordan won? Right, the last time Jordan won a title. They haven't won one since. What if I'm the guy who brings a title back to Chicago? Do I gain acceptance Maybe. in a place that has Michael ranked ahead of me and it's not even close? Right. It's something to think about, right? They're on the list. They're 20 to 1. Yeah, pretty low. So but. pretty low on the list. But I think that story, I think the Knicks story is a good one. I think the Bulls story is a good one. Some other teams on this list, including the team that comes in at number 2 on the list, which has a very interesting story. We'll get into that coming up. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill at Mike Gill Show. Busy show today. Frank Close, Phillies mailbag, Paul Hudrick on James Harden, who apparently, some news on Harden. We'll get into that a little bit later. Football at four today. Dave Sampson, back by popular demand, former president of the Miami Marlins. I want to get him to bring us inside these league office meetings on Thursday Night Football, flexing that. How does he see how that all went down? That's coming up tonight at 5.30 here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey Sports Leader. 232, Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill with you. 
You know, Jimmy Eat World's playing uh, Memorial Day weekend. I won't be here. They're the only band. I'm a, I don't, I'm a, Blink 182 is the headline on Sunday, but I wanted to see Jimmy Eat World. I like Jimmy Eat World. Yeah, they're playing Saturday night on the beach in Atlantic City, but they're not the headliner. Like, do you think Jimmy Eat World, who's the headliner? Is it Paramore? I thought Blink-182 was the headliner. No, they're the headliner on Sunday. Oh, headliner on Sunday. Yes, Sunday night, Blink-182 is the headliner. Blink-182 is the Sunday night headliner. I think Paramore is the Saturday night headliner. But I would say that I would not want to see Paramore more than I would want to see. I wish they had Jimmy Eat World before Blink. So that I don't have to go two days in a row. <laughs> oh, I won't be here Saturday. Yes. I'm hoping to get back on Sunday in time. I will not be here tomorrow, Thursday, or Friday. Um, I have an impromptu trip to Nashville for a couple of days. And uh, so I will be out the next couple of days here. But I should be back on Sunday. Our plan is to get back Sunday. We fly in and then get in the car and head right to Atlantic City to go to the Blink Show. Uh, but I would prefer, like, if I was ranking the artists that I could see at the adjacent festival, uh, Jimmy Eat World would probably be the highest on my list. Yeah, Paramore is the is the main event. They use the, uh, I don't understand the- that. Well, it's probably because there's a lot of recency bias with that. You know, Paramore is a more recent group. So, you know, if you're appealing to the... I've heard of them, but I can't say that I know more than, like, one or two songs. Well, sure. Be, you know- Jimmy Eat World's got, like, albums. Yes, yes, they well, yes, they they literally had albums, you know, when they're actually. So I mean, like, I feel like they could. um, uh, I feel like they would have a a bigger, more staying power for the amount of time they have to play, if you will. Like, I got the list. So, Paramore's playing from nine thirty to eleven. Jimmy World's getting less than an hour. That's unacceptable. Jimmy World's playing from six forty-five to seven thirty. There's a band called Bleachers, who I've never heard of before, that somehow is the the opening act now for Paramore. I've never heard of the Bleachers. Now, am I missing out? Should I have heard of them? Have I heard a song that I just don't know the band? Sometimes that happens. But Paramore, going from 9.30 to 11, I would feel would have a harder time filling an hour and a half with songs people know, more so than Jimmy Eat World. I mean, Jimmy Eat World can headline this thing and have people moving and grooving. I'm looking up Bleachers, and I don't recognize any of these songs. The only bands, listen, and look, I get it. The Adjacent Festival, awesome. I'm I'm cool with the whole thing. I've heard of a handful of the bands on Saturday. Paramore's one, Jimmy Eat World's the other. Uh, I've heard of Weedus, who's playing on the Thimble stage at 8.30. So they're going to be basically crossing over with the Bleachers, who never heard of. But I would have definitely thought that Jimmy Eat World would have been the the the, the headliner over there. And on Sunday, uh, Blink One Eighty Two is the is the headliner. Uh, Coheed and Cambria, I've heard of. They are playing in the Jimmy Eat World spot. So maybe that Jimmy, but they're not getting they're they're getting less than an hour. I've heard of the starting line. I've heard of Phantom Planet. Um, not Phantom Menace, there. No, not Phantom Menace. I don't know that reference. That's a Star Wars movie. Thought so. So I'm trying to get back in time for the Blink-182. 
But if they had Jimmy World playing in that 645 spot on Sunday, I would have been a lot happier. You may have been a little more pumped for it. Yeah, I, I'm a big Jimmy Eat World fan. I just And I feel like Jimmy Eat World's bigger than – am I wrong? I mean, I think they are, but part of it might be because we're older and, you know, our – for lack of a better term, you know, a, a chunk of a huge part of our lives was, you know, sweetness and – all those songs, you know, it was. You like gave a, me one, <laughs> sweetness, and I don't know any other ones. All well, those I, songs, the, I just the, played one. Bleed America, the middle. Come on, the middle. Yeah, well, I was trying to remember the name of the middle because I I was singing the song in my head and I couldn't remember the name of the middle. <laughs> uh, but the point is, is that it's it's more identifiable for someone who's like thirty five and up as Jimmy Eats World. I'm sure maybe for someone who's thirty five and younger, Paramore is think more of identifiable. Paramore. I mean I definitely know I've heard of them. Um maybe they have stuff that is more recognizable that I just didn't associate that they're the singers. But I, mean, I could be wrong. Maybe. I mean Jimmy Eat World was like around like ninety nine, two thousand when they first came out. Paramore came out first round like 2007-2008, so it's uh, almost like a 10-year Put it this gap. way. I played a lot of Jimmy Eat World when I worked in that genre. Mm-hmm. I never played a Paramore, Paramore song. Well, they came out after you left that genre, so. Okay. I mean, Running Out of Time, you might have heard that. Misery Business, you might have heard that. I, I always describe Paramore, at least in my view, and I'm, I might even be wrong about this. I'm no music expert, but I always felt like Paramore was like the, the, uh, the, the child of the uh, Evanescence movement. The, <laughs> you know, that style of like, you know, rock where it was like more of like a, a ballad type of rock passion and angst in it. Yeah. You see, 311's playing over at the beer festival. Oh, yeah? I'm more excited for 311 than I think I have anything else. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to choose between Jimmy Eats Girl and 311, who are you choosing? Uh, that's a tough one. I, I'm a big Jimmy Eat World fan. I like three. I actually, Jimmy Eat World, I mean, uh, 311 played in Atlantic City years ago and I introduced him on stage. Nice. So I have a little bit of a connection with 311. I really love that 311 album. Um, that's a tough one. I'd probably go Jimmy Eat World though. But I, I, I um, who else is playing at the beer? Like Dropkick Murphys, I think. Yeah, they're playing over there. Yep. Which I could kind of hang out with for like a, a couple songs, but I mean, most of it you're turning into um, something that just not my style. <laughs> not your flavor. I mean, I don't mind it. It's not like I'd be like, oh, are you kidding me? But like, I want like, oh my god, I have to be there to see the Dropkick Murphys. That's all. gotcha. Six zero nine four zero three zero nine seven three. Um, so the betting odds on LeBron, real quick, the, the, we were talking about this. You got Chicago. See, I think there's a story with Chicago. Hey, right. I'm going to go back to Chicago. I'm going to go to Chicago and be the guy who wins a championship. The, the only guy who could do it after LeBron. That's a story. Right. The Knicks thing, they haven't won a championship. I'm going to go be the guy who brings the championship back to New York. When was the right. last time they won? 72? 72, 73. So like I'm going to be the guy who does that. They're number one on the list, by the way. The Cleveland thing, hey, I'm going to go back home. But I don't even know that there's a story there other than going back home. He already won them a championship. He did, but you know, I don't know if there's some sort of like, hey, comfort level or something. The Golden State thing, I don't think there's a great story there. They're on the list, 9-1. to one. 
Boston is on the list. They are the longest shot at 25 to 1. I can't see that happening. I don't know what that does other than, hey, I won one for the Lakers and now I'm going to go one, win one for their rival. Eh, that story doesn't make a lot of, doesn't, isn't, uh, sexy to me. Yeah, that, that is zero value to me. The Milwaukee Bucks. I'm not interested in that. I feel like that's a, that's a force. I mean, I feel like LeBron at this point in his career, him and Giannis are like similar players, aren't they? Yeah, I, I, there's no story that grabs me other than, hey, maybe, you know, that's where uh, Kareem started his career. You're going to end your career there. It's not a great story. 12-1, uh, to 1, the Sacramento Kings. Are you like the final piece to this Sacramento puzzle? I mean, does LeBron think that he's just going to go uh... – Ring chasing? Is he like a guy at the end of his career just going to random teams? I don't know that he's ring chasing. I think he's being (laughs) the guy who's the final piece. You're looking at it as he's ring chasing. I'm looking at it as, hey, this Sacramento franchise, look what their fan base this year. They love this team. They're crazed for this team. And I'm the guy who's going to complete the deal for this team. I will say this. I don't think Sacramento is too crazy for this one reason. LeBron moved all of his business operations out through the L.A. area when he moved to the Lakers. His entire business infrastructure is still in the L.A. area. He owns a winery out there. So you could argue that, you know, if he played for a team in California that wasn't the Lakers, he wouldn't be that far away from his family and his business operations. Yeah, that's like a six-hour drive, so it's not like it's right around the corner. Well, he wouldn't be driving, though. He'd no, I'm saying it's not plane. like it is something that he can go back and forth from. No, but it's a lot closer ease. than being in Milwaukee. Sure, yeah. I mean, but I always say, like, people are like, well, the, these guys can get from here to there whenever they feel like it. Yeah, I just Sacramento, I like, by the way, is in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it is Caltown out there. Well, that's the, that's the negative against it. Yeah, so that one... Has a story. They've never won a championship. Right. And they're a good young team. Maybe he's that last piece. Yeah, maybe you don't have to trade in all the purple and black you already have. He, that story is better to me than Boston, Milwaukee. 10 to 1, the Miami Heat. I got no story to go back there. I feel like that's a reach, uh, totally. I mean, first of all, part of the, if you read the LeBron book by Brian Windhorst, because you had Brian on when he, um, when he wrote the book LeBron Inc. One of the things that LeBron, Windhorst talks about in that book and that Windhorst talks about in his other book when he returned back to Cleveland is that he was tired of dealing with Pat Riley and his like, hey, you got to have your body fat this percentage and you got to have your, your health check-ins. You got to work out and like LeBron wants to be on LeBron time. Yeah. And so, I, don't, I don't feel any reason that he needs to go back there. He accomplished championships there. He moved on 10 to one Dallas. Other than just like, hey, I want to go start businesses with Mark Cuban. I don't see where Dallas. Maybe him and Luca. I don't know. I mean, he does, or does Kyrie he, stay there and he goes back to play with Kyrie? I mean, everyone keeps thinking Kyrie might be going to the Lakers, right? So does Kyrie say, hey, just come to Dallas? Right. No state income tax, right? Exactly. Come play here. Not a great story. Golden State. You said I don't see a great story. Phoenix. I mean, if now you're just ring ch- now you're just like be re putting together the the Miami situation. You KD and Booker, right? And the other problem with uh, a situation like, for example, Phoenix is, I mean, are we assuming that Chris Paul is done? Is he not done? Like, what's going on? Because the, the one of my problem with LeBron is, what is his role on some of these teams? 
LeBron's kind of morphed into more of a, a point forward at this point than a pure like he can score when he needs to, but he's not looking to score. Well, all that's the what time. I'm saying. Phoenix, he doesn't have to be the superstar. He could just be a superstar, right? But it's like so that's why does... that makes a little bit of sense. But there's not a great story there. No, and I just don't know how he fits in there totally. Um, probably pretty darn good playing next to Kevin Durant, mind you. Uh, well, Devin yeah, I'm, Booker. I'm bringing up Chris Paul. If if, he, well, if Chris, you're telling me Chris oh, Paul is yeah, gone and you replaced forward. him with Chris Paul, then I'd be like, all right, that makes sense to me at least. Cleveland, not a great story. Going back home for a third time. Okay, number three on the list, the L.A. Clippers are five to one. Now you're just trying to be the guy that gets L.A. The other one, their only championship. I mean, I guess there's a story there. L.A., this is for you. And in all that other stuff. You don't have to move all your business stuff. It stays right there. Nothing changes. You just change locker rooms. Literally. You just change the That's it. And number two on the list at 7-2 to two is Philadelphia. This is why you saved this for last. All right. Did you Were you anticipating that? Well, now I, I was wondering who was number two, but I was not anticipating the Sixers. But now I see why you did what you did. Well, I mean, I like to start at the bottom and work my way to the top. You like to just randomly throw stuff out there where you're like, hey, I, I have an order that I'm going in here. I started at the bottom. I went to the top. They <laughs> happen to be the last team on the stop to the top. It started from the bottom. Now we're here. Yeah. So started Philadelphia bottom, 7 to here. 2. I mean, obviously, there's a story there. They haven't won a championship since 83. They have a starved basketball tradition that wants a championship, that went through this process. Does he step in and say, I'm completing your stupid process? I mean, does he even think like that? Who knows? I don't know what the guy thinks like. I I feel like that's more of a, somebody being hopeful. You know what I mean? Because the problem with LeBron is... He doesn't think like the rest of us do. He is so different than all of us. Well, you were looking for the story as to why these teams would be situated the way they are. The Knicks 3-1, to one, Philadelphia 7-2. to two. I'm not trying to get inside his head. I'm trying to think why would that team be second on the list of teams. These are Vegas odds on LeBron James' next team, if not the Lakers. The Knicks are the favorite. The Sixers are the next team. So each team, what's the story? Well, I'm LeBron James. That team hasn't won a championship since 1983. They got Joel Embiid. I think I'm the guy that can get them there. I don't I mean, know. Look, if you're telling me that you're replacing James Harden with LeBron, I'm ecstatic. I'm not going to complain at all. I'm just trying to try to piece together what exactly the connection is. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I don't know. Is there a coach that's available that's on the list. Vogel, him and Vogel didn't get along well. Or they, well, no, he did get along. Yeah, he liked Vogel. Yeah, it wasn't that they didn't get along. No, Vogel didn't get along with the front office. That was the problem. Because remember, the front office... So they hire Vogel. Would that open up the picture that LeBron could choose? Uh, I don't know even how he would get out of his contract. Well, so I don't know how this list would even be put into... into I mean, know. are we talking about... Although it says his next team, if not the Lakers. That could be at any point. Well, he has one more year left on the deal. Then he has a player option. Well, would you do a sign and trade? You give get Harden that max contract, send him yeah, to they LA, don't want take James LeBron. Harden. They don't want James Harden. Sure about that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure. Sports Pass Live, ninety-seven three ESPN. Uh, Nikola Jokic says people are mean. I'll explain next on the Sports Pass ninety-seven three ESPN. Now.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. So Nikola Jokic last night, he's asked after the game his thoughts on winning this MVP award in the Western Conference Finals. He says, I don't care. He says, what are your thoughts? No thoughts at all. But he did slip in that people are mean. Here's what he had to say. I don't think about MVP, MVPs anymore, and, and I think it's uh, people are just um, mean and saying that Embiid shouldn't, shouldn't want it. I think he he should he, he should want it. I think he was uh, he was playing uh, uh, if you watch it extremely extremely tough basketball through whole season, and uh, I don't want to say player doesn't mean in that, but he he was uh, he was really. Amazing in 82 games or how many games he played. So people are just mean saying that Embiid shouldn't have won. Now, I will say this. What is he supposed to say? I think I should have won. Like, no player is going to come out and just rip the other guy. But I think Jokic is a genuine guy when asked these questions. What did you go? What are your thoughts? Like, I don't really care. You know why? I think people are mean to say that Embiid should have won, shouldn't have won the MVP. There is history that Jokic and Embiid are friendly. And so it's not like there was ever some adversarial rivalry with those two. It was more of a, a media-created rivalry. And Jokic is the kind of guy that doesn't really seem like the person who tries to say anything for you know, headlines. Or he just says what he thinks. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I, I think he was being... Being honest. Honest and genuine yeah. when he said, look, people are just like, the guy deserved to win the MVP award just because you think that I, maybe I'm playing better in these playoffs. And maybe by me playing better in these playoffs, it's showing that maybe I'm a more well-rounded player. That doesn't mean he didn't deserve it for his 82-game slate. Correct. Uh, coming up on the other side, Frank's mailbag on the Phillies as they lost last night. So what are the people asking Frank Close about this week? Find out next in Frank Close's Phillies mailbag right here on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. 3 o'clock, Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Phil's lows last night. That two-game win streak, modest, snapped. We'll get into that. The mailbag. What are you guys asking Frank Close this week? The Phillies mailbag is posted at 97.3 ESPN.com. I want to ask Frank. He's a music guy, right? Frank, who would be higher on the list if you had a concert? Who would get the main headlining stage and who would be the opener? Paramore or Jimmy Eat World? Ah, I would go Jimmy Eat World. I've seen them play before multiple times. They're 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 my band. Yeah, right. I mean, 
I would agree that Jimmy Eat World. Now, I don't know. Is Paramore more popular with the younger generation, maybe? I don't know. I would say so. They have a new album out. It's pretty good. I like Paramore. Yeah, well, uh, I've I'm seen not, Paramore, I'm not too. I'm but... being critical of them. I just thought that Jimmy Eat World... See, Jimmy Eat World is playing at the Adjacent Festival this weekend coming up. They are like the third band. I don't even know who the second band is. And then Paramore is the headliner. But Jimmy Eat World isn't even getting an hour. They're only getting to play for like 45 <laughs> minutes. To me, they have way more than 45 minutes worth of material. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you there. And, and by the way, there's a lot of really good bands. I was looking at Saturday. They're boom, 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 boom. Right at the end of the day, Saturday, there are four that I would like to see. So I might be so able to. I, saw, I might know somebody that can help you out with that. Oh well, I might like to meet them. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but right. Yeah, that's a it's a good show. Yeah, and uh, Blink One Eight Two is the headliner on Saturday. Um, Coheed and Cambria is in the Jimmy Eat World spot. So they're only getting like 45 minutes. Then there's a band between them, and then Blink is the headliner for the Sunday uh, version of the Adjacent Festival. So we're getting to Memorial Day weekend, which means uh, how much more emphasis do we put on the Phillies? Well, they're the only game in town, so uh, let's look at the Phillies. You know, we were looking the other day. This weekend, Sunday, they hit their 45th game. After 45 games, Frank, this team, do they have um, – a, I don't know, do they have a personality? Can you define them? What would you say about this team? I know it's 47 games now, but after about 45 games, where do you see this team? To, to me, it all comes down to the pitching. I mean, they are, they are scuffling big time right now. I think you're really seeing the lack of starting rotation depth. That's something I even said in the offseason. I thought the Phillies needed one more starting pitcher. And they're really, really hurting. I mean, they, they were kind of counting on Andrew Painter to be around, maybe to take over a spot at some point, if not right away. I think they thought they would get more out of Bailey Falter. And everybody else that was the the quote-unquote depth, whether it's Nick Nelson or Christopher Sanchez or Michael Plassmeyer, none of them are options right now for this team. So, and of course, what happens when you don't have starters going deep into games, then you tax your bullpen, and then you get what the, what the Phillies have been this most recent stretch. The, the bullpen's exhausted. You know, when you get to the end of the bullpen, Andrew Vasquez, who might have not made the roster if everybody was there at the beginning of the year. He's 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 pitching well, but he's pitching a lot more innings than anybody ever would have suspected. And, and, and then even even guys like Hoffman just coming up out of nowhere uh, are, are are pitching key innings for this Phillies team. So I I think that they're absolutely gassed in the pitching department, and I, th I think that's the story of this team so far. All right, Frank. Let's look at some of the questions that the listeners have for you this week because obviously frustration. Um, I do. Before we get into some of the questions, what is your take on uh, Turner? Now he, for the first time yesterday, kind of expressed some frustration. Admitted that he hasn't played very well. What do you read into? I mean, this is a guy who's a three hundred career hitter. I mean, this is a guy who is you know a perennial all star who some people thought could have been in the MVP conversation. You saw him at the World Baseball Classic. Is this just a case of a slow start, too much expectations, or is this a player who's starting to maybe decline at 29 years old? It, it seems far-fetched. Yeah, I, I may have been one of those that thought he might be an MVP contender this season, and and he has the talent to do so. Uh, you know what? For all their paid and, and all the fanfare, at the end of the day, these are still real human beings. And signing that big contract, you almost need to feel, and this is, people have said this time and time again in the history of baseball, 
sign a big contract, you feel like you have to go prove that you earn it. And every at-bat, you feel like you need to prove that you earn it. And you, you lose sight of the fact that in this game, if you fail seven times out of ten, you're in the Hall of Fame. So I, I can just see him perhaps pressing too much like we saw Nick Castellanos press too much. I think he is entirely too good and too talented to be what we're seeing. And he kind of acknowledges as much. I like I liked that he was very blunt and said, I suck right now. But he's, he's going to be better than this. There's absolutely no way that this is going to be a long-term issue. I have no concerns whatsoever that he is that he is in some sort of decline. I mean, we saw what he did, the World Baseball Classic. I, I think he's an incredibly talented player. The Phillies are really lucky to have him. And I think he's going to turn this around. Yeah, um, I would have to imagine, I tweeted this out the other day, that a hot streak from him and Schwarber have to be coming. And when that happens, especially if they get going at the same time, those two will carry this team through a month or two, and that will really separate them from the middle of the pack. I don't know that they're going to pass Atlanta at any point, but just kind of separate them from the muck of this National League, which is really mediocre to bad right now. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there's, there's really no clear dominant team. And, and a lot of the teams, it's not just the Phillies. I mean, look at the St. Louis Cardinals. They're scuffling in a big way so so far. I think they're like six or seven games under 500 at the moment. So it, it almost feels like this is a season where everybody just failed to launch and be who they're, they're expected to be. And Well, I think we thought, Frank, at the beginning. I think we thought at the beginning of the year. I know I, know I did. Is when I looked at this National League, I said the same six teams that made the playoffs last year, they're going to be the same ones in. Now, it looks like the Cardinals might be bounced by someone in the Central unless they can get their act together. But I think you're looking at Braves, Mets, Phillies, uh, a Central team, and the Dodgers, the Padres, if they can get back. And Arizona's kind of hanging in there, but do they have staying power? So it looked at the beginning of the year that you were going to get almost a replica of last year's playoffs. And, you know, honestly, that that seems to be the case year to year. But I think a lot of these teams that aren't doing so well are going to catch up. And let's not forget, too, the Phillies last year, they kind of showed that they were a team is once they get in, but they are well positioned to do well in a playoff setting. Their top half of the roster, which is all you need in the playoffs, can win you some games and get you to the World Series. Uh, St. Louis Cardinals last year, they got some reinforcements at the deadline and they became relevant. They were actually scuffling a little bit last year, like the Phillies uh, around this time. So so there, there's a lot of baseball to be played. Uh, you don't love to see what you're seeing per se with the Phillies right now, but but they, they do have pieces that can make this work. And and I think it's it would be premature to, to in any way write them off or write the St. Louis Cardinals off or even some of these other teams that are a little below expectations right now. Well, speaking of one that was below expectations, it just got hot and pulled away a little bit, was Houston. They were scuffling along, got Altuve back, and now they have kind of pulled themselves to the upper echelon of the American League. Uh, Frank, let's go to the mailbag questions. Let's bounce around here. James, because of what happened today, maybe you could fill our listeners in a little bit on the move the Phillies made. James wants to know who is going to emerge as the fifth starter for this team. And I asked that question on a day where they had to um, pick up a guy uh, from waivers from L.A. basically who threw four innings this year just to try to get a veteran pitcher to fill this role. So tell us a little bit about D- Dylan Covey and what they did with him and why Bilotti was the player who got uh, sent down. 
All right, I'll start with Bilotti. I, I, I think he's just not showing a lot of command since he came back from the IL. I think they maybe want him to just work on a few things and expect that he would return. Um, he just hasn't been that good. I mean, I think that's just, that's, that's been the reality. And this is a performance based game. And I think they would like to get Bilotti right because I think we saw last year that he can be very effective for the Phillies. So, um, so right now, given that they actually have some arms in the bullpen, I think they thought this would be a good opportunity to, to see if they can go get him right at AAA. Yeah. In terms of Dylan Covey, I don't, I don't, you know, I remember back, this reminds me of the day back in, I think it was 1998. The Phillies had no starter and they grabbed some guy on waivers named Paul Bird and just sort of threw him in there that day and he stuck. I don't know if the Phillies are going to be that, that lucky this time around, but uh, I mean, really, this is what it's come to. I mean, when you think about the names, and I just, I think I just ran through the list, you know, Andrew Painter, Nick Nelson, Christopher Sanchez, Michael Plassmeyer, and Bailey Falter. Those are five starters that they hoped would be the depth they would need for that fifth spot in the starting rotation. And they burned through all of them. And it's created such a, a devastating effect on the bullpen that, that they're burning out the players in the bullpen. So I, I think they would love to get four, four innings out of uh, Dylan Covey this time. I think what they're doing is they, they have Matt Strom actually going to go first. And I think the idea behind that is uh, Corbin Carroll, who is perhaps their toughest lefty in the lineup, is going to bat third for the uh, for the Diamondbacks every day. And Marte batting second is a switch hitter, stronger from the left side. So I think he's going to try to neutralize the lefties using Matt Strom for the first inning and then try to get through a few turns uh, from from Dylan Covey. I mean, that is that is far from the ideal solution. Um, they're not going back to, to Matt Strom as a starter, it looks like. And, and again, I think the reason I said before was that that they're worried about the number of innings that Strom will throw, considering he's already more than halfway his total innings for all of last year already. Uh, I, I could see them go that direction down the line, but I think right now they're just they're just <laughs> they're just grabbing anything they can and, and to see what what could possibly happen because at least right now. The Phillies don't have any other real candidates to start for them. Well, this is interesting, too. Let's take a look at the lineup quickly tonight, which uh, came out about 20 minutes ago. Stott's back at the top of the lineup. Turner's back at two. Castellanos has gone from two back to four. Schwarber, Realmuto, Marsh, Clemenzoza, Bohm is sitting for the first time this season. So is Stott back at leadoff simply because Bohm is out of the lineup today and they're trying or is are they going back to Stott and putting Turner back at 2 I I think what we saw yesterday he was just trying to to use the matchups I think they figured that that Stott facing a lefty could uh maybe bat lower in the order and then that means later on in the day he would face uh once they go to the bullpen perhaps not a lefty I, I don't know that I personally would worry that much about lefty-righty like they seem to have done lately, but I think that seems to be what, what drove the lineup yesterday. Uh, you saw Sunday, you saw yesterday, Stott, Stott's bat is looking pretty good. And so I think that, that yeah, he belongs at the top. He's making that good contact. Uh, he, he could be the guy to sort of set the table. And they're facing a righty. That seems to be uh, what what is going to dictate what they do with the lineup day to day? Are they facing a righty? Or are they facing a lefty? I don't I don't love personally, you know, going back and forth because a lot of times the bench players who are right handed don't hit better against lefties than some of the guys they take out like like Marsh and Stott. But uh, but I think that since they're facing a righty. This is going to be the lineup that they're going to go with. All right, uh, Frank Close, Phillies mailbag. Let's uh, go to uh, who will eventually 
be the one guy that will be the closer? Will they eventually go down that route? Uh, you know, Jose Alvarado was kind of seemingly in that role. He threw off flat ground today, so that's good news. But is he the closer? Is Kimbrell the closer? Uh, if we're in a playoff situation right now, do they have a closer? Are they going kind of back down the same path that they did a year ago? Yeah, I think they're doing what they did last year. I mean, while I think it's very clear that when healthy, Jose Alvarado is the relief ace, he's going to face the heart of that lineup or whoever he matches up best against late in the game, no matter what inning that happens. So if, if there's a situation where you're going to face four, five, six in the eighth, and one of those three happens to be the other team's top left-handed power hitter, well, the Phillies would very much rather have Jose Alvarado pitch the eighth there and then somebody else get the outs against seven, eight, and nine. So I, I think ideally they would have uh, Dominguez and Alvarado in that role. Dominguez has struggled a little bit with his command this year, so Craig Kimbrell has gotten some more of those opportunities. But I would I would expect when when they're back to full strength, which could be in a couple weeks, uh, you could see Jose Alvarado in a rehab assignment maybe in the next week's, week 10 days. Uh, if that happens, he'll be back soon in a couple weeks. And I would expect them just to sort of approach the end of the game um, like that, you know, the, the lefty before him to get the K outs probably would be either Matt Strom or Gregory Soto, and de- depending if they need openers like this, I suppose. Uh, but and then uh, from the right side, you've got Craig Kimbrell and Sir Anthony Dominguez getting those right-handed outs. So I think they're going to stick with that matchup thing. It worked for them last year. I think that the players in the bullpen have embraced this role. And and by the way, Phillies have had exactly two saves since May. Seventh, with the day that we learned that Alvarado would be going on the IL, one went to Matt Strom, the other went to to Craig Kimbrell the other day. So, don't need a lot of saves anyway in the traditional sense. Yeah, um, I, I want to get your thoughts on Kimbrell. Do you trust Kimbrell? I mean, is he a guy you think? I mean, he didn't even get on the Dodgers postseason roster uh, last season. Is he a guy that you trust as the closer? Do the not? I don't want to say as the the closer, but in that in that a spot in the ninth inning if there's righties up do they hope Dominguez recaptures that role I think that would be ideal that Dominguez steps up and is dominant like he was in the past I really am not bothered by Kimbrell I realize you know in that last save he gave up that solo home run against the Cubs but to me he got a couple outs and was just going after the hitters I I kind of like that you know, challenging the hitters, realizing, hey, I have a two-run lead. If somebody hits it over the fence, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, it doesn't look good for his ERA, which is still currently over six. Uh, but I, I think he's getting it together. Last year, he pitched pretty well for the Dodgers and was pretty dominant, and he kind of fell off for a little bit. So I think I think the key for the Phillies here is to make sure they don't overwork him. Uh, you know, be, it would be great if, if Dominguez could, could kind of step in some more. Um, you know, Kimbrough has been in this league for a long time. Uh, so I think, did he face the Phillies in 2008? I mean, he's like, it goes, he goes, uh, <laughs> way, way, way back. So I would say, you know, use him. Don't overuse him. Make sure you have Dominguez in there as well, getting some key outs. And I think, I think he'll be good. All right. Uh, Kevin says, uh, starting pitcher, trade a prospect or two to a team out of contention. What are some of the options? You know, they obviously can't go with this bullpen by committee. So is it in house? Do they have to start looking? We were talking about this the other day. Is it the Phillies are in a tough spot? Is in the team they have is made up of a lot of veterans. They kind of like push their chips into the middle of the pile. 
they don't want to start going to their their farm system to improve this team. They spent money to improve this team. So they don't want to have to make trades to improve this team. So is trades really an option to fix this number five spot? Yeah, it's, it's going to be hard. I mean, when we talk about teams not in contention, I can count on one hand how many might actually not be in contention right now. I mean, you think of the Oakland Athletics, the Kansas City Royals, Cincinnati Reds, the Colorado Rockies. They may be the only ones. You know, you think about the teams that you expected not to make it. Well, the Baltimore Orioles are having a really nice season. They're, they're, they hold the first wild card in the American League and are three games out of first place. You know, you, you, you look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're tied for first place, right? So a lot of these teams that you used to almost assume would be out of contention uh, are even the Diamondbacks the Phillies are facing. They're eight games over 500. They hold a wild card spot. So the out of contention teams don't necessarily really exist right now. Now, I can think of one team that has some extra starters at the moment, and that would be the Boston Red Sox. Uh, they're going to get Garrett Whitlock back from the IL this weekend. And so uh, Nick Pavetta, well, not that I'm advocating the Phillies trade for Nick Pavetta, he got bumped to the bullpen by the Red Sox, and they're going to have to bump somebody else beyond him. Uh, could that be James Paxton or somebody like that? I don't know. Uh, but they have a couple extras. Will they make a trade? Maybe. But then I think the other problem is, as you said, you're either trading prospects or the Red Sox are still very much in this. So if they're going to trade from their surplus and starting pitching, they're going to want major league pitch, pitching or, or other players back that can help fill out their roster in a way that helps them contend. So, and I don't know that the Phillies can subtract anything from what's on the major league roster right now to satisfy the Red Sox. So matching up on a trade is going to be tough. It probably will have to happen at the trade deadline when there's people more obviously out of it. And maybe they have to eat some money from another team because as you said, they want to keep those prospects. What's your thoughts? Uh, CJ Cron's name came up. He's a right-handed bat. I mean, here's the problem with this team, Frank, as I see it. They are very left-handed heavy. Derek Hall, when he comes back, that's another left-handed bat. I mean, do you almost have to say we've got to find a right-handed player that can play first base? I'm, I would be more open-minded than, than just that. I mean, if the Phillies, if the Phillies do decide that Bryce Harper can be a first baseman, then you can maybe add an outfielder. So I don't think you need to, to just focus on first base per se. In fact, I might prefer that to get some of the outfielders that they have out of the outfield. Uh, Crone could be an option, but to me, I, he's not somebody that really excites me per se. You, you know, if you look at his numbers, he's, he's just been okay, uh, for the, for the Rockies. There's nothing about this, this season that you get excited about, but I, I would agree with you about the, the right side being helpful. I mean, it could be a situation where Derek Call does come back and, and maybe he's a piece that goes to a team to help get that right handed bat. I don't know. Uh, but, but I think this needs to play out a little bit more. I still would like to see what Derek Hall can do for the Phillies before they make any final decisions. And, you know, we're, we're getting closer and closer to the day that you could see him back maybe, maybe a few weeks from now. Um, he'll be, he'll be rehabbing at that point. So, uh, I, I, but I'm not really so much worried about the offense at the moment. I would worry more about the pitching because they are absolutely killing their bullpen. Uh, right now, and, and those those few starts in a row where the starter failed to get more than a few outs, that 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 really has a trickle down effect on this team for days to come. Okay, uh, a couple questions that came in. Let's fire one at you here from Dan and EHT. Uh, Frank, do the Phillies have a problem with Wheeler? Should we be worried? His velocity seems to be down. 
uh, dating back to last season. Now, do you look at Wheeler last night and say something's just not right still with him, or is that not a guy you're worrying about all that much? Yeah, Wheeler Wheeler certainly didn't look like himself yesterday. I mean, you know what he what he does do is he battles. You know, at, at one point it seemed like he wouldn't last five, and he managed to get them through six, which I think is really good. That's his professionalism. That's his grit that you like from Zach Wheeler. I mean, at, at the very least, going that finishing that sixth inning, which I wasn't sure he was going to come out for, was huge. Every inning that the bullpen doesn't have to pitch right now is very, very helpful to the Phillies in the next week because, again, it's a trickle-down effect. Wheeler, yeah, his velocity is down. We saw Aaron Nola come around for a little bit. Uh, we talked about the reasons why that might have happened, the shorter off season, you know, a new routine, pitch clock, all that stuff. Um, you know, it could be that Nola got through through that a little bit quicker. Uh, so I would keep an eye on Wheeler and see where he goes with this um, because at the very least, if he's going six and giving up four runs once in a while like last night, there should be winnable games for an offense like this. So I'm not so worried about Wheeler. Uh, but if, if, we're, if we're still saying this at the end of July, maybe – but I, I, I feel like I feel like this is something he could work out of, and at least you're getting a professional who who at least has the mental capacity to battle through a lot of this in the meantime. Frank Close, ninety-seven three ESPN.com. His Phillies mailbag appears Tuesdays on our website, and of course, Frank answers your questions each and every week right here on the Sports Bash Live as the Phillies. Uh, Matt Strom goes tonight. We'll get that full lineup out for you in just a second. And uh, you heard it right here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Frank. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Mike. All right, Frank's back again next week with the Phillies mailbag as the Phillies take on Arizona tonight. We told you Matt Strom is kind of getting the start tonight. I think they're just going to try to sneak him through probably three innings or so. And this lineup, it is brought to you by Clark's Moving and Storage. We'll support him tonight. It is Bryson Stott leading off. Trey Turner playing short. Bryce Harper is the designated hitter. Nick Castellanos playing right field. Kyle Schwarber's in left. JT Rumoto is the catcher. Brandon Marsh plays center field. Cody Clements is at first base. And Imundo Sosa is batting ninth and playing third base for Matt Strom tonight. So the Phil's looking to get back in the winning track. The one name out of the lineup tonight is Bohm. It's his first day off all season long. So Sosa's at third. Clements is at first. But Stott is back at the top of the lineup tonight. And I would imagine Dylan Covey will be on the mound at some point tonight in relief of Matt Strom as they try to go with a bullpen game to get through tonight. Not ideal. Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. It's a Wednesday, excuse me, it's a Tuesday edition. Not quite to Wednesday yet. Here on the Sports Bash, it's we had Frank's mailbag. It's time for MG's mailbag. Here are the tweets I've gotten this week that I will answer on the Sports Bash. Coming up next, plus Paul Hunter joins us to talk a little Sixers at around 345 today. Stick around. MG's mailbag next. Now, back. ¿Sabías que la línea 988 de prevención de suicidio y crisis ahora ofrece opciones de mensaje de texto y chat en español? Si tú o alguien que conoces está pasando por una situación difícil o por una crisis de salud mental, la línea 988 te conecta con ayuda especializada 24 horas al día, 7 días a la semana. Ahora puedes llamar o textear al 988 o visitar la página línea 988.org para hablar con un consejero especializado en tu idioma. Hay esperanza. La línea 988 Funciona. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 3.30, you guys tweet at Mike Gill Show. 
a lot. And I decided I'll make a mailbag and answer the questions for you guys. Because sometimes, you know, I don't have a blue check mark, so I don't get more than 250 characters. And I can't answer all the questions all the time. Although I do do my best to respond to every single person, whether you have a fake name, you're a troll, you have some sort of ridiculous image as your uh, avatar. I do try my best to get back to every single person. And I've been known to go back and forth with people probably longer than I should, but I just feel bad. I'm a nice person. I have empathy. And for the fact that you take time out of your day to tweet at me, I am honored that you know who I am. And some of you, I have no idea who you are, but I feel it's pretty cool that you know who I am and I don't know you and we can have a good conversation. So I never, ever, ever take things very personally. I just don't care enough, but I will go back and forth with you. And that's why I decided to have an MG's mailbag after Frank's mailbag on Tuesdays where we can take a look at questions that you guys generally will tweet at me at Mike Gill Show. So let us uh, dive inside of some of the questions that have come up inside the mailbag this week here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, first one, let's take a look. All right, this one's an interesting question. This came up yesterday. Someone tweeted it. Mike, how could the NFL continue doing Thursday night football, flex scheduling, and not think it's incredibly insulting to their fans? Which made me think of, uh, I'm having David Sampson on tonight. He was uh, back by popular demand. I had a lot of feedback on the David Sampson. He was the president of the Marlins. So he kind of gives us. By the way, do, do you listen? Did you um? You ever listen to Lebetard, the South Beach Sessions? I have not in a long time. Uh, well, he has doesn't do them all the time. So it's been a little while between them. But Samson was his South Beach Session guest this week. It was really good, like real good. In terms of like, here's this guy. I, I don't. Know, I'll, I'll talk to Dave about it later. But he was the president of the Marlins. He's hated in Miami. People down there hate him. So anyway. We're going to talk to him about the Thursday night football thing as a president of a team about what goes on in these. But he says with one, uh, the question was with one game being flexed out and another game being flexed in, it's approximately 100,000 football fans that have their lives directly impacted. So how can the NFL continue doing Thursday night football flex scheduling? Well, how can they continue doing it? They've never done it before. That's number one. Number two, here's what I take from this. The NFL cares more. Think about this. Josh, have you ever been to an NFL game? I have not. You have not, and you're laughing. I think it's 95% of NFL fans have never been to a game. Is it really that high? I think it's 90. It's either 95 or 93%. I think only 7% of NFL fans have actually been to a game. So you're you're in the norm in for this for once. Okay. Good that's... good job by you. <laughs> good job by you. So you are a part of the norm in this one. Get, consider yourself... I'm a part of the 90%. 93% of the people who have not been to an NFL game. The NFL cares more about their television audience because that's their audience. Mm -hmm. That's their primary audience. Not their primary audience. It's 95% of their audience for the most, 93, I think it's 93%. Whether it's 93 or 95, put it this way. Over 90% of their audience is at home watching these games. 
So they have to care more about the 90% than they do the 10%. And that's why they're doing this. Here's the problem as I see it. They're giving these teams 28 days to make the decision or the prime, Amazon prime. You have 28 days. Do I honestly think that this thing is going to happen a lot where they're going to get flexed? I really don't. We went through the schedule. There's only five games that you can even pick from that can be flexed. There's only five weeks that they can do it. The game has to really be a bleep bag game. I mean, really bad. So if they do it once every, like, three years, uh, is it really, really that? Now, here's the problem. Let's say the game's in Philly, for instance. It's not going to happen. They're not going to flex Philadelphia out. Right. Okay, if the Eagles are on Thursday Night Football, there's a good chance they're going to want that game. Right, they want them there. Here's the only thing, and I don't know how you would do this. Like, okay, your game was on Thursday. Now you're moving it to Sunday at 1 o'clock. I've booked a hotel room. I've booked airfare to get into your town on Thursday morning, go to the game Thursday night, and leave Friday. That's a big problem. The airline is not going to want to hear, hey, I booked a flight to a football game and they moved it. And I don't think the NFL is going to send you a credit out and say, hey, we'll pay the difference for you. So you are going to get some backlash on that. But here's the thing. How many people are going to give you 60,000? Seriously, not even. I'm talking about someone flying from another town to Philadelphia. The people in Philly don't care. They live here. They're the ones going to the game. You're talking about how many road fans are flying into a town. So you are in, and look, I feel for those people. But the NFL is saying, are we really making a bad business decision because we're inconveniencing maybe? How many road fans could be at a game? If the Eagles are playing at the Chargers, still you're only inconveniencing 10,000 people maybe. If 10,000 people went out there. And that's on the high, high, high end. So you're really inconveniencing about three to 5,000 people, maybe, that are flying in from a different town on the road to go see their team play. And that is why I think ultimately the NFL decided we're going to do Thursday night football, whether you like it or not. And we're, I mean, we're going to flex Thursday night football, whether you're going to like it or not. Those 3,500 people, they'll get over it. But we have 95% of our audience that we have to cater to, and we're going to do it. So that's why they're doing it. By the way, so according to the Sloan Sports Athletic Conference, only 3% of all NFL fans have ever attended a game. 3%. 3%. Okay, so I was on the high side. I said 7% or 5 yeah. whatever I said. Now, of course, this was back in 2016 is when the survey was done. According to Sanford University, it's around 4 to 5% now. And that's why the NFL is doing it. The only majority of fans don't go to the game. They want most of their fans are watching the game on television. A question two this week in MG's mailbag. With new rules and shorter games, is there going to be an uptick in playoff and World Series ratings? It's a fair question. I don't know that it's going to be a massive uptick, though. Do you? I don't know if it's going to be massive, but I think there will be a uptick just because I think people... I think people watch the World Series 
I don't think they're like, oh, the game's faster. Because what we talked about before is what makes the playoffs better is the slowness of the playoff, the drama that's built in between. You're losing that in the playoffs. Was the question World Series or playoffs? Both. Will there be an uptick in MLB playoffs and World Series ratings? I think my answer would be yes for the playoffs, no for the World Series. The World Series is both. Yes, I would say minimal. A minimal uptick. I don't know what the ratings are now for baseball. Are they better? I have to double check, but I know they had a decent year last year. I don't remember the exact number, though. Uh, number three. Mike, how could Tom Brady be allowed to be an analyst on Fox if he owns a piece of the Raiders? Surely can't be permitted to work Raiders games. It's another fair question. Um, well, he's not an analyst on Fox yet. <laughs> he hasn't called a game, and he's not doing it this year. I honestly don't think Tom Brady will ever call a game. What about you? I think the whole Tom Brady... Uh, Fox thing is a pipe dream at this point. It seems like he is not interested in that right now at all. Well, he said he's taking this whole year off and he wants to make sure that he's like highly prepared. So I, I, I just don't think now that he's getting into ownership with the Raiders, if I'm a, an opposing team, I don't want Tom Brady in my locker room. Hey, Belichick, can I come in and get some uh, information for the broadcast <laughs> for the Raider game this week? Doubtful. So I don't see that happening. By the way, this year's World Series averaged 12 million viewers. This year? This year. What are the regular season games averaging with the new rules? That was the the, the uh, question. But you asked me about the World Series. Was, no, was I asked what the ratings are for this year with the new rules. Oh, the regular season. Have we seen an uptick? Another category. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. That's what's in my mailbag this week. You can always get me at Mike Gill Show. And we'll do the mailbag here on the Sports Bash, answering your questions. When we come back, Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers is bringing James back, James Harden back, the Sixers' best option. And as Paul writes, there might become a time to trade Joel Embiid, but this team is not a great trade partner. He'll explain. Coming up next on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports leader. All right, 346. Let's bring Paul in. Uh, a lot of uh, NBA stuff. LeBron last night. Man, did we see the end of LeBron? Uh, we'll get Paul's thoughts on all that. And uh, is James Harden, now that the dust has settled, is he the best road to go down? Is that the best option uh, for this Sixers team after watching the rest of these playoffs kind of unfold? Let's bring Paul Hudrick in. Liberty Ballers, great job on the offseason so far. And uh, so many offseason questions. Obviously, James Harden's at the top of that list. So, Paul, let's revisit that now that the dust has settled a little bit and kind of rehash that. Is bringing James Harden back with some of the reporting, what he wants, what's out there, Houston, is bringing him back the Sixers' best option? It could be. Um, <laughs> I, I can't. It's not even a cop-out. I, I honestly don't know if it is. Um, I get it 
from the perspective of, uh, as we've discussed, if you move on from James Harden, what is the, as Daryl Morey worded it, what is the scenario be? Uh, I'm very curious to know what that is because you don't get that cap space. When James Harden walks, he walks. You, you don't get that money back. Uh, you'll have some things you can do, but not a lot. Um, he's going to have to get really, really creative in whatever he does to replace James Harden. Uh, and I think the bigger domino here is if you move on from James Harden, uh, and then the, the issue then becomes you have to sell to Joel Embiid what the future is, what the vision is, um, whether that's you know get, finding a way through signs and sign and trades or trade exceptions, whatever, to get another guy here now, or having almost like a gap year where you have to load up in 2024, and even then you have to get really creative with cap space to try to find a way to open up some space to to go after a big name in, in 2024. So uh, the, the reason I lean towards it being the better option is because of the domino effect it would have where if Harden walks, what do you do then to, to replace them? And then how do you keep the team competitive and good enough so that Joel Embiid doesn't then start getting antsy? Uh, speaking of Joel Embiid, you wrote about this over at Liberty Ballers. It's a thoughtful piece because there is some whispers. The Knicks have been named as one of them. But many people are getting to that point where you start to think, 29 years old, can you win a championship with the big guy? You say there might be a time to trade Joel Embiid. Is that time now? And what about a team like the Knicks who would be interested? Would that be a partner if the Sixers were interested in trading him now? But my thing is, we we don't know whether you might not be able to win with Joel Embiid, right? I mean, people, that's the point people like to make is, you can't win with, well, they say you can't win with a big man, but a big man is about to go or is going to the finals and is the favorite to win it. And, and Nicole Jokic, clearly different players, but still a big man. And that's about to happen. Uh, but some people say that and then also just maybe in B, like men, men, mentality wise, maybe he's not the guy. Maybe My thing is this. I'd rather spend the next couple of years figuring out and knowing for sure whether or not he's that guy than trading him too soon. Um, because we see, look, look at the Sixers history of trading MVP caliber guys didn't work out real well with Charles Barkley didn't work out, you know, real well with Moses Malone didn't work out real well going back to Will Chamberlain um, when they traded MVP guys in the past hasn't gone that great for the for the franchise. And it's not just the Sixers. I mean, this is generally speaking, um, it, it, you, you really struggle to get proper value when you make trades for these blockbuster players like, yeah, um, you know what? the Nets got for Kevin Durant was great. There's a lot of value there, but they still had to give up Kevin Durant to do it. And the Phoenix Suns are going to be back next year with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker for a full season. And that should be a very dangerous basketball team. So um, that's the way I look at it from Joel and B. Like I, I am exhausting all of my options before I do that. And as long as he wants to be a sixer, I'm keeping him here. Uh, as far as the Knicks go, I, I don't see it at all. I, I don't see the player they have because Again, just looking back at the framework of some of these other deals with with the Nets and the Suns, we'll just use that one as an example as the most recent one. The Nets got back, in addition to a lot of trades and, and swaps, to get Michael Bridges, who is a foundational piece for, for a rebuild, and then Cam Johnson, who's a starting caliber player that fits that mold as well. What do the Knicks have that I want? I don't want R.J. Barrett, and I don't want that contract. I don't want Mitchell Robinson. I don't want that contract. The only player that I would want on the Knicks is like Jalen Brunson, which would defeat the entire purpose of the Sixers trading Joel Embiid there. 
Um, and it, like down the line, like yeah, I, I like Quentin Grimes, but that's not moving the needle for me at all. So yeah. The, the, so is it less about moving Embiid than it is? There's just nothing you could get back in return to make it worth your while. Like, would well, look, you be just, open? Would you yeah. be open if the right deal was there to consider it? Although, like, it, then it just means you're kind of reshuffling the deck. Here is okay, Embiid, who's the MVP of the league. We don't think we can win a title with, but we think we can win with these three jabronis. You know, <laughs> like it. You know, no. It, 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 I think it's the idea, like, of you don't think you're gonna with the trade. You're not gonna win now. You're thinking this is how our next. Our next era starts. This is how we build the next Joel Embiid era um, that will hopefully be more successful and end with a championship. I mean, the one idea I know, uh, Brian Tapork, who does a great job writing for us at Liberty Bars, he, he kind of touched on it. And what he said is, let's say a team like Oklahoma City comes around. They have a ton of picks. They have a lot of really young, talented players. If they start you a package that says, hey, here's a bunch of first rounders, plus here's Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddy." Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, my ears might perk up at that. I still probably don't do it, though, if I'm being really honest with you. And then the other thing is, too, Mike, this is the era of player empowerment. Guys, like, you're not going to trade a guy to a team that he doesn't want to go to. And I don't know that Joel Embiid has much appetite to go to Oklahoma City. Maybe he does. Maybe he sees a Shea Gilgis Alexander and looks at it and says, okay, this is something I can work with. I might be able to, to get this team to the next level. But um, he'd be much more prone to want to go to the Knicks to reunite with uh, Leon Rose, who was his agent at one point, or of course the, the stuff with the Heat, and you know maybe going back and reuniting with Jimmy Butler, of course, would be something he'd want to do. So you're also kind of going to have to thread that needle because it, it, it's a it's a reputation thing where if you trade a guy to a team he doesn't want to go to, it's a bad look and it might hurt you down the road from potentially make landing another star down the road. Yeah, I mean, would would you think the Sixers? would even consider moving and beat at all. I know the fans start to get restless, but do you think the Sixers are, would even consider it at this point? In a word, no. Uh, I don't think they're even – that's not even a thought for them right now. It, it really isn't. I, I, they talk about like, – like I mentioned off the top, Daryl Morey talked about scenario A being they retain, they retain James Harden and they kind of basically run it back with a new head coach, some stuff here and there. Maybe it's a biased tire shirt. Who knows? Um but then he talked about scenario B in which James Harden is, let's say, a Houston Rocket. I think scenario B still has Joel Embiid as the prominent figure of the Philadelphia 76ers. Mm -hmm. Because look, Mike, let's say that happens and you do nothing else. You don't replace James Harden or you replace him with like, I don't know, a, a, a an okay veteran point guard or whatever. This is still going to be a pretty good team in the Eastern Conference. This is still going to be a team that's going to challenge to be uh, a four or five, you know, three, four, five seed. I would even say they're still going to be in the mix. Do they reach the level of, you know, in the regular season, the Bucks and the Celtics? Maybe not. Um, the Heat, as far as a playoff team, I mean, they look like the best team in the world right now, which is insane to think about. But I mean, I think it's the other thing you had to look at too, Mike. Uh, yeah, of course, the Heat, they have this culture. They have a, they have maybe the best coach in the game, but they were an eight seed and look at the run they're on right now. So. Yeah, you, you would like to bring James Harden back. That probably gives your best title hopes. But I, I don't think you have to punt entirely on the next season if Harden walks. I think there's a way where you could be still a pretty darn competitive team with Joel Embiid as your focal point, with Tyrese Maxey taking another leap. Yeah, we'll uh, keep our eyes on this. Obviously, the NBA Finals. Uh, do you believe at all that LeBron James is thinking about retiring? 
Uh, no, I, I don't at all. Um, I think it's emotional. I think it's, you know, for, I, I, I know some people were saying like, oh, it's leverage and yada. And maybe there's a little bit of that, but I think it's more, he just got swept. Uh, he gave, he played his guts out in game four. He's clearly, he clearly wasn't right. He was hurt managing that foot. A couple of weird plays where he kind of like just lost the ball, missed a dunk. That's not LeBron, right? Like that, that's, that's not the player we're used to seeing for, for the last 20 years. So I think it's just, contemplative stuff where a guy's contemplating his basketball mortality and um, I, I fully expect though he, he will be back next year. He will be a Laker. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Paul Hudrick over at Liberty Ballers. You can check out their offseason coverage and read Paul's piece on Joel Embiid and the possibility of being traded. Not a good one and uh, why the Knicks are not a good partner. That's over at LibertyBallers.com He's at Paul Hudrick and he was kind enough to join us right here on a very interesting uh, Sixers offseason as we will continue to keep our eyes on that. Thanks, Paul. You got it, Mike. And after tonight, I think we're going to have nine days with no NBA because I think the Celtics will get swept tonight. Football at four is on the other side. Adam Kaplan's in the house. What are we pontificating about today? Well, we looked at the 53-man roster projection for the Eagles offense. Who are some surprise names he thinks will make it on the defensive side of the ball? Well, keep it locked for that because I can tell you this. I see one, two, three, four, at least five names on this list that I'm surprised that are possibly being considered. We'll see what Adam thinks coming up next on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN on a Tuesday. David Sampson, the former president of the Miami Marlins, will join us tonight. We'll talk a little sports business with him at 5.30. Keep it locked. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have real confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. It's football at four. Football at four powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. And of course, right here on a Sports Bash Tuesday, Adam Kaplan's in the house. The guys over at InsideTheBirds.com have Greg Cosell on this week, breaking down the schedule. You can listen to that on all your podcasting platforms. But today, we looked at the 53-man offensive projections. Adam Kaplan's in the house to take a look at who he thinks will be the guys on defense that will be a part of the Eagles' defense this year. And we talked about this on Friday, Adam, is a former defensive coordinator and head coach Chuck Pagano. He ranked his top five defenses in football entering training camp. He has the Eagles at number two on that list. So who will be the guys wow. who will be a part of it? What's happening, buddy? How are you? Yeah, good to talk to you. Yeah, wow, that is you. You mentioned that I think Friday, and you know, as I go through this, Mike, and we'll, we'll get we'll get through this in the segment. All all the positions. The one real concern is Javon Hargrave. That just in terms of your starting eleven, depth certainly is a, a concern at a couple of positions. But in terms in terms of the starting eleven, not having Hargrave's ability to get up front and and get into the quarterback. I mean, when you have Cox and and Hargrave together, I mean, they were a tremendous tandem for a bunch of years, so they're not going to have that now with uh, Hargrave signing that massive deal, really a two-year structure with the 49ers. So that's gone now. That's gone now, and, and that's how the defensive tackle position is going to look a little different, though they've got a lot of talented young players there. 
Yeah, and uh, let's take a look at some of the new players and old players that will be a part of this defense, 26 in all. These are the 26 players that Adam thinks will be on it on the defensive side of the ball. And as we go through this, you certainly will mention where he thinks they could go outside the organization. But these are the guys that are here right now. Let's go to the end spot. We know Sweat. We know Graham. How about Derek Barnett? And who else is behind them at that defensive end spot? Yeah, we've, we put out on our show, I don't know, six weeks ago that Barnett will be on the team this season. Uh, they made this decision, uh, that he was rehabbing well from his ACL. Nothing has changed. The only way he wouldn't is if he looked so bad, you know, at the end of August that they didn't think he could play anymore or something. He's still relatively young. So, because, look, they're, 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 they're an odd man front. Uh, they're, they're more of a 34 front with two overhangs and also they play the 5-1 front. The key, the key to here is having depth in a rotation. You don't need a lot of defensive ends, and we know that Milt Williams will play end too. So Barnett will be the third end, and they'll, they'll work it out. It, it, you, know, you know, they start games with only one defensive end, Mike. They, they, they tend to start with three defensive tackles. I don't know if you knew that. Just about every game last season they started with three defensive tackles and had a rotation. So you don't need to be super deep at the end. Because when you play a 43 front, yeah, you've got to be four deep or five deep. But not so here. So I've got Sweat, Graham, Barnett. Now, a guy that I know they want to look at, Janaris Robinson, who was claimed off waivers from the Vikings last season, they're going to look. They're going to take a good look at him in this offseason program and also in training camp. He's got length. He was a fourth-round pick drafted by the Vikings, and he's got a lot of ability. He's just a little bit raw. Tron Jackson, remember, who was a former draftee, a six-rounder a couple years ago. He was cut last season, brought back. Uh, we don't have him make. At least I don't have him making it. And then Matt Leo, who will not go away. This is a but his fourth season as the international player, yeah, he, he's, he's a, the thing about him is yeah, he'll never make the team, but he's a huge dude. He's uh, super tall and long, but he's just not talented enough to make it. So uh, there's your end position there. And, of course, uh, you look at uh, the defensive line. This is where, in the past, uh, Jonathan Gaddy, he liked to rotate a lot of guys. Defensive tackle. There's a lot of very interesting names here. This one here I think is going to be a lot of fun at training camp. So you've got six making the team. We know Fletcher Cox. We know Jalen Carter. We know Jordan Davis. Who else is on this list for you? Yeah, there are four locks. Cox, Carter, Jordan Davis, Milton Williams. There are four locks. Contavious Street has a very good chance to make it. He, he would have to have a very, but very bad training camp not to make it. Again, Williams has positional versatility. They love him as that third defensive tackle. Now, he might he's probably going to be the fourth. And then it, it obviously depends on the conditioning for Jordan Davis. If, now, we're, we put this out on our show weeks ago that he showed up to their offseason program in really good shape. In fact, he'd been in the building so much, and I know they were really happy with him. So you've got Davis and Williams as your four. Now, I have Street as a fifth. He's got some good upside. He's got decent pass rush moves. This guy's been with the Niners and the Saints. He's got enough. He's got enough ability. Very small guarantee in this contract. Won't, that guarantee won't keep him on the team. But I'm expecting him to show up in training camp as the fifth. And then it's a, there's a question: Do they keep six? Right now, I've got Moro or Jomo. I know Greg Cosell told us on our show more than once. He's very excited about him. Who's a seventh round pick this year out of Texas. I am as a sixth guy, and that means Tui Pelotu will not make it on my on my 53. And Noah Ellis, who's one of the uh, two Ellis kids on on the roster, Luther Ellis's kids, who's got three actually in the National Football League, 
Uh, I've got no else not on the team. So, again, I would keep six defensive tackles. Yeah, that's going to be a pretty good battle, I think. Uh, there you got some very interesting names. Uh, for, And I like Milton Williams, by the way. I think Milton's going to have a big year this year. That's just me. Uh, all right, let's go to the inside linebacker because this is one where I imagine there might be names that aren't here yet that might be in play. But who are the guys who are here that are the favorites? Yeah, they have, you know, they start two, typically start two inside linebackers, or they play two inside linebackers, and then depending on, uh, their opponent, sometimes they play more, they, they play, they'll play one, but it's typically two. Nicobe Dean and Morrow were projecting starters, they're, they're obviously gonna make it. And then, the question is, do they keep three or four? Now, I've got four, Ben Van Sumeren, I was an undrafted free agent rookie, the Eagles have a history of keeping two or three guys who are undrafted free agents, so, both sides of the football. I've got him making. He's got good size. He's a really good tackler. He's bigger than the other two linebackers physically. And Christian Ellis, who's an outstanding special teams player, he's the best athlete of the group. And then I don't have Davion Taylor making it. And then also because, again, I can't see them keeping five. I get it. Sean Bradley doesn't really play on defense. He's just on special teams. He's a good special teams player, but he's not a great special teams player. So I have the four inside linebackers, Mike, making it right now. And uh, the it's just it's it's a numbers game. I mean, could they keep three? Yes, but uh, you got to be careful. So I'm going to keep I'm going to have them keeping four. And you know, in terms of veterans, they're not going to pay anything. They just don't. Mike Nukobi Dean is a guy who's on a rookie deal. Nick Morrow has got zero guaranteed money. They they sign him um, to play in the scheme. They think he can do it. And we we talked to Paul Gunther, the former Raiders defense coordinator, who had. Tomorrow, when he was in his second year, and he loved his growth, he thinks he'll be a good fit. Uh, Paul told us so. I expect those guys, Dean and Mar, to be the starters. Uh, is that a spot where you can envision them, though, going outside the organization, or would you be uh, thinking that they're okay with what they have in house here? Yeah, I could definitely see them signing one more veteran by training camp, but again, low priced. We've said this for like two months now. It is a buyer's market before the draft and after the draft at inside linebacker now. As we wrap that inside linebacker, there are like six or seven guys out there who will cost next to nothing. Now, it, again, they, they would like Morrow to be a starter. That's, that's our understanding that they're expecting that to happen. Could they bring in a veteran? Sure. But does it need to happen? No, because they're not going to invest any money in the inside linebacker position. That's just the way that they believe it. All right. Uh, Adam Kaplan, football at four here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Outside linebacker, very interesting here because you got a lot of guys who are, um, you know, you got uh, Reddick and Nolan Smith. Obviously, people are excited for Smith, but a couple guys who have been around, Patrick Johnson and Kyron Johnson. Uh, so obviously, they're kind of a part of that edge, defensive end, outside linebacker, hybrid, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, so the, so just for people to understand, Mike, talking to a, a pro personnel source uh, last week, the Eagles 34 front is they don't run the Pittsburgh 34. They they run the Fangio. The Eagles do run the Fangio 34. It's different. The the Steelers run an old school 34 where you have two outside backers a lot, whereas the Eagles play one outside backer, Reddick, and then they occasionally play another outside backer on the other side. So Nolan Smith, Mike, he obviously will back up Reddick. He'll line up on the other side when they feel like they want to use him opposite Reddick. He could play DN. They'll they'll play, they'll play some forty three front. They don't play a lot of it, but they do. We're told uh, based on the tape from last season by multiple people told us Smith may play some defensive end. Uh, and and look, he could play inside linebacker in this front. Uh, he could rush. By the way, Nicobe Dean. I, I I hope he blitzes because he was a tremendous blitzer uh, at Georgia. 
So you've got a lot of versatility, as you said, with Nolan Smith. Mike was their first-round pick, uh, one of two of them this year. And I've got him making it. And then Kyron Johnson and Patrick Johnson. It comes down to two things. A, special teams. Kyron Johnson is more explosive than Patrick Johnson. And ability to rush the passer. Kyron Johnson also a better pass rusher. I know Patrick has really played on defense. Kyron, very little, if not at, at all. But Kyron Johnson is more upside, so I'm going to give him three outside backers here. Uh, all right, let's look at the corners because I think this is going to be a, a very interesting conversation on who's in and who's out here because there's a lot of guys who have been around this team, a lot of young players who have not got a lot of playing time here. So any new names, uh, who's in the mix? Yeah, this is the hardest one. I, I know people were laughing when I said it literally took me 10 minutes uh, to do the cornerback position. Well, here's why. When you're trying to put together a 53-man roster, and then specifically on defense, either keeping 25, 26, or 27 defensive players, you can't keep everybody. And and it's kind of like putting your, your fantasy football roster together. Okay, I can't keep everybody. What do I do? And, look, we know Bradbury, Slay, Maddox are absolute locks. Then the question is, well, and, and Ringo would be four. Those four locks, Ringo the fourth-rounder. The Eagles are very high on their – they're higher on Ringo than maybe some other teams we spoke with, but hey, they expect him uh, down the line in future years to compete for serious playing time. So he'll be on the roster. So they're the four locks a corner. The question is: Is Gree Williams a lock? No, but he's very he's very likely to make it. The guarantee of this contract will absolutely will not keep him on the roster. It's very little because he had a major injury history with Cleveland. Uh, big big underachiever too out of LSU, but he's got height, weight, speed. He's talented. Charles Walls, who's an executive, front office executive with the Eagles, you know, he was with Cleveland. Uh, Walls was when uh, Williams was drafted. I'm sure that that probably had something to do with it. He had, he had you know, he had, he had intimate information on this kid because he was there in Cleveland when he was drafted. So I expect him to make it. Then the question is, will Zach McPherson make it? Good special teams player. He has not shown the ability to, to, to be a solid outside corner at this level. He may be better for the slot. So it comes down to McPherson. Josiah Scott, I don't see him making it as a backup slot. Josh Yobu was with them all last season. Mario Goodrich, Eli Ricks, undrafted free agent this year, and Makai Gardner, an undrafted free agent this year. I, I really wanted to put, Mike, one of these guys on there. I, I, I probably had two or three different projections based on the issues that there were challenges at cornerback on the back end. So I wound up just going with... Uh, the last guy was, uh, it, so I got a Bradbury, Slay, Maddox, two, Williams, three, McPherson, four, and Ringo, uh, 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 McPherson, five, excuse me, Bradbury, Slay, Maddox, Williams, McPherson, and Ringo are six. So I went with Ringo over the, all those undrafted free agents. Now, Ricks has got length. He's got talent. He, he had some maturity issues, as we know, at, at Alabama. This guy's talented. Now, the other thing we're going to look at, Mike, before we move on to safety is, do any of these guys have any positional versatility? Can they play safety? Because the Eagles for the future, which we're going to get into, Mike, in a minute, they don't have many answers past the season at safety. That's why I'll be interested to see what happens here. If any of these guys could could convert to safety or play both positions. Yeah, uh, and then there is the safety position, which uh, lost both its starters last year. So this is going to have a completely new look. And there's only one, uh, you know, well, actually two returners. Uh, you got Kayvon Wallace back. You got Reed Blankenship back. But are both of them going to stay? Yeah, well, Blankenship, they see Don as a starter. They see he's a really good backup. So that's what he's going to be. He'll either be their third or fourth safety. Evans, Justin Evans has got a little bit versatile, better versatility. He's got a small guarantee in his contract. So Evans had a one-year deal, only played for the Steelers. He had 
he was, a, let's put it this way, he was overdrafted, a former first-round pick, but okay in coverage, not great, can't cover tight ends because the tape showed it, so the data. Not great at it, average at it. City Brown, he covered tight ends, but that's all. He never covered receivers. He just didn't do that. He was more of a box player who would blow plays up. Um, they, Eagles do believe he's got a coverage ability, better coverage ability to play farther back. He's a third-round pick, rookie. He's got, he needs time to develop. My projection is, though, that Edmonds and Brown will be their starters at safety. Evans and Blankenship will be your top backups. Again, you can't keep everybody. I've, um, I have Wallace off the roster. And Tristan McCollum, is, is his brother played for the Bucks as a fifth-round pick. McCollum was an undrafted free agent last year. This kid's got length and speed. He's got ability. He could play corner if you need him to, but he's more of a safety. He's a guy that, when we look at bottom-of-the-roster guys who could be a surprise, remember, Mike, Wallace's contract's up after this year. Edmonds is up. Evans is up. So nothing would surprise me at safety. I, they really need an answer, Mike. The only guy who's guaranteed past this season to be with the football team would be Sidney Brown. I mean, I would expect Blankenship to be with, be with them in 24, but he's not a starter. He doesn't have the foot speed. But he's been a good story, man. What, what a great un, uh, undirected free signing he, he, he turned out to be. Had a great pick against Rodgers. That was a really instinctive play. But just not a good enough athlete. That's why teams never did not see him as a starter and why he was not drafted. All right. So Edmonds, Brown, Evans, Blankenship, no Kayvon Wallace. So that they're going to cut ties with their four. Was he a third or fourth round pick? Fourth round pick, uh, who was on the Fine Avers rookie deal 2020. Uh, I don't believe they even had, I think they actually had a lower grade. This is when there were too much, there was too much reaching in that draft in 2020. Obviously, Davion Taylor was a major miss. Former third round pick. He's still with the team now. I remember they caught him and they brought him back. Nobody claimed him off waivers. Mm. Uh, See, Mike, when they drafted him, they really thought, they knew he was super raw, but their hope was by year three he'd be their nickel linebacker. And unfortunately, that never worked out. Uh, Adam Kaplan, football at four. And of course, you can check out the Inside the Birds podcast. Uh, Why we got you, Adam? What's your thoughts on the uh, Thursday night flex scheduling? Yeah, and and, and look, uh, you can have seven. Like the league being on their call two weeks ago, you could. Uh, they didn't know that this would pass, but I sure thought so. When he, when seeing Roger Goodell right like ten feet in front of me at the owners' meetings in Arizona, Phoenix, boy, he was defiant. He, I mean, when Roger Goodell wants something, Mike, more often than not, he gets it. And now again, it's on a temporary basis this year. And if they don't do it this year, then they do it next year. But it's a trial basis for this year. Uh, it's going to happen. I mean, they're, they're going to they'll have games flex through weeks 13 through 17 to Thursday night. I love uh, John Mara is funny, the president of the uh, the Giants. He didn't want it. He was very out in front, and he spoke this week. And he goes, "Look, I get it. Uh, don't like it, but hey." Now, some teams that didn't like it, they didn't like it in Phoenix, Mike. I don't know why they flipped. Uh, that, that to me is surprising. I, I would love to know why some of these teams changed their mind. Uh, but Mike, look, you could see the Jets. Being, they, they have, what, five? The Lions have four. They're, they're in the open against the Chiefs. You know the Eagles could. Uh, but we have to, I, I don't have their schedule in front of me about what times they're playing. But the league now, it's all about the fans. And you know, Mike, if, if in, in weeks 13 through 17, if there's an unreal matchup with two great quarterbacks or two, two what we call legacy teams, which the league calls some of these teams that have been in the league forever and have a great national audience, they're going to get flexed. Yeah, uh, there's five weeks, uh, 13 through 17. There is no Thursday night game in week 18. We went through the schedule. 
I don't know. There, there's maybe one game that you can. It, it's the Saints Rams game where you're like, ah, maybe both these teams are out of it, and you know, I, I don't know. But the Saints with Derek Carr, they might win that division. This uh, the Rams, yep. who knows? But I think all the other one of the games is a Dallas game, so they're not going to flex Dallas out. It's Dallas and Seattle. Hell no. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't imagine that it's going to be a huge problem. And, and I was thinking about this, Adam. You know. The home team is inconvenienced, but their travel plans are not inconvenienced. You know what I mean? Like, they're not paying for hotels. They're not paying for airfare. You're really inconveniencing about, I don't know, how many road fans travel. The Eagles are are one of the teams. Right. Eagle fans travel, Mike. No, you're right. But like three to 5,000 would be a, a high number, right? Yeah, I, well, look, I, let me let me just tell you something, Mike. I was at the game where once towards ACL in 17 in L.A., uh, and I could tell you, there was, at the L.A. Mausoleum, the L.A. Coliseum, though I loved going to that stadium, I'm probably one of the few the proud. <laughs> I yeah. love the, the old relics, but it was so pro-Eagles, that crowd. Now, there are a lot of transplants there yeah. who are in the entertainment business. It, it, now, and if you remember, Mike, don't forget that Charger game. I do. John, yep. D. Yeah, John D. Flip with the former Eagles quarterbacks coach told us on our Inside the Bird show that it was rocking that, that the the Home Depot Stadium where they play soccer. It was ridiculously all Eagles, and it, he said he's never experienced that in his lifetime in football on the road where you, the home team t- takes over the stadium. He said it was incredible. Yeah, no, that's the one I brought up. I said, you know, that's a that's an outlier where like maybe eight sure. to ten thousand people were there, but really the NFL is saying our television viewers are more important than the 60,000 people who are going to the game. And that's just the I way agree. it is. Uh, what do you think of this rule that got uh, approved? They're going to put the ball on the 25-yard line on a fair catch on kickoffs now. So you can fair catch the ball, and the ball goes to the 25-yard line. Yes, and that's done for safety reasons, Mike. They said in their statement that I got, yeah, it. They're, they're trying to do everything. I, I don't. I, I'm not saying they want to take away my kickoffs or punts. It, it, it's the safety issue. It's just this has been in the league for a long, works and for a long time. It's been brought up by the competition committee. Uh, the safety of, of returns and um, they want the, the, play, the returners not to take as much physical play, and that's why they passed it. But the big one to me was the one that got passed yesterday. The emergency third third quarterback with the old uh, inactive third quarterback. Mm-hmm. After what happened, I'll see to Purdy, and I, I just remember. But the, the, there is a difference, though, because remember, Micah, on the old rule, once the number one and number two quarterbacks got were, were taken out of the game, and the third quarterback came in, well, the one and two could not come back for any reason. Now they can come back if they're cleared physically to come back. Yeah, yesterday I was saying the Eagles are like Wilt Chamberlain. They have rules being changed uh, because of what they did, uh, <laughs> yeah. knocking quarterbacks out of the game. Adam Kaplan, the Inside the Birds podcast. You can download it on any of your podcasting platforms. And uh, they are breaking down the Eagles' schedule this week. Greg Cosell going through each and every opponent. Check that out. And, of course, right here, on football at four, Moshe's back tomorrow. Andrew on Thursday, and Adam will be here on Friday. Happy hour Friday on the Sports Bash. All right, Adam, appreciate it, bud. Uh, one more thing, Mike. We uh, just dropped my power rankings. So the write-ups are there on InsideTheBirds.com. Okay, cool. We'll uh, probably take a look at that on Friday's show. There's Adam Kaplan here on the Sports Bash. I will not be here on a happy hour Friday. You know why? I will be having happy hour. <laughs> just for the day. Just for the day. Um... We've got sound of the day coming up. 
I like sound of the day. It gives us a chance to hear from the newsmakers and let me react to some of the things that are being said. Tim Legler, you know, we talk about firing the coach all the time. It's always the coach's fault. You know how many Denver fans thought Michael Malone was the problem out there? Hear what Tim Legler has to say about why the Nuggets stuck with Michael Malone for so long. A NFL voice thinks an NFC East team will struggle this season. You'll hear that coming up next. And who has more to gain in these NBA Finals once they're set? That's all coming up in Sound of the Day next on Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. At 4.30, uh, check out our website, 97.3ESPN.com. A video of uh, Shane Victorino suiting up for the Savannah Bananas. He hasn't seen live pitching since 2016. Stepped up, saw one pitch, and cranked one. Got a, a base-clearing double to uh, win the inning. You ever see a Savannah Bananas game? Uh, not an actual game. I've, I've seen the documentary. So they play like who wins the inning. Right. So it was nothing, nothing in the seventh. And there was a runner on second. Victorino came up and he ripped a double through the gap. They scored the run and that mean they won the inning. So they won. He had a walk off in the seventh, but you keep playing. So you play every inning. Whoever wins the inning gets a point. Gotcha. That's how it works. So if you win the first, second, and third inning, you get three points. Fancy. Something different. Uh, they are coming to Trenton, the Savannah. Bananas. I don't know if uh, Victorino will be there. They were in Vegas, which is where he lives now. Vegas, baby. Vegas, baby. All right, what do we got today? Well, let's start with the team that just reached their first NBA Finals in their franchise's history, that being the Denver Nuggets last night, sweeping out LeBron and the Lakers. Well, what has not been talked about a lot is the team that actually beat LeBron that being the Nuggets, and Tim Legler was on SportsCenter last night and talked about the Nuggets' patience with their head coach compared to other NBA teams. Well, not only did they stick by him, another key factor in that is that their best player never expressed any dissatisfaction mm. with what was going on in Denver, right? And we know that ultimately is the death knell for a lot of coaches. If, if any front office person senses there's some sort of dissatisfaction or somebody's getting restless as a star player, they're going to make a change. That never happened in Denver. And you've got just the ultimate guy to coach. If you ask Mike Malone, and we're going to talk to him, you know, what makes him so special? It's the fact that he's just so malleable. Whatever it is that needs to be done, he's going to do. You don't have to do anything to assimilate to him. You just give him the basketball, let his IQ take over. So that makes it easier for a coach when your best player has that personality type and those sort of leadership skills to uplift everybody around him. And you don't get those, you know, those uneven moments in the locker room that now start to make a front office question, is this the right guy? That never became the case with Mike Malone. Yeah, Michael Malone has been there since 2015. 
And there's some times where they've been the number one seed and got knocked out. They've been a high seed and got knocked out. And there were times where people said, this guy's not the fans anyway. It's the coach's fault. It's the coach's fault. I give Denver a ton of credit for not bailing on Michael Malone and saying, no, we have a good coach or whatever you want to call it. He has a good culture for us here. He has set the culture. And we keep coming up short. We keep coming up short. But Denver valued continuity more than they valued the fans' opinion of coaches. And I give Denver a lot of credit for that because it wasn't the coaches' fault. They didn't need a new voice. They just needed to stick together and continue on the path because they believed in who they had. And Denver gets a lot of credit for me for that. So many franchises pull the plug because they listen to their fans who are great people, but a lot of times think they know more about sports than the people running the teams. We all think we know more than the people who have positions we yearn for. The reason why those people are in those positions, and it doesn't mean you couldn't know more than them, but here's the difference. They are around a lot more information than we're aware of. When somebody in the organization does something, it's generally because of other people who have been in that sport for a long time give them information. We all think we know more or as much. We played. We know what we're talking about. We might have an understanding of the sport. But what goes into these decisions sometimes Denver could have listened to their fan base. You know how many people thought that Michael Malone was the problem? He wasn't the right coach. They needed to move on. They were the number one seed. This team was never going to do it. Nobody believed in them. Heck, they were the one seed this year, and they were not the clear favorite. The Phoenix Suns were the favorite this year. Denver has a two-time MVP on their team, and people didn't believe in them. Now everybody thinks Yokes is the greatest player they ever saw. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy what happens when you actually watch other teams play, right? But Jokic has been great. He's an MVP, but you never believed in this guy. But Denver believed in him, and they believed that their coach set the right culture. Not that he was this great tactician or some X's and O genius. That they had the right culture going on out there. And Legler's right. They stuck with what they had because they believed in it. And now it might pay off in a championship for them. It very may well. And I... I do want to say that, you know, it's not that the fans' opinion is completely, you know, illiterate or negligible. It, the problem is, is that for fans, when they see something, and I, I can't speak for everyone, obviously. There's obviously some idiots out there. But for the general part, the the regular fan who, when they see something happen in a game that they don't understand why it keeps happening. And then they say, well, why isn't the coach doing something? Why isn't the player doing something? You know, for them, if no one ever sits and explains it to them, you know, why things are not getting better, why things are not changing, then it's understandable why the fan says, get rid of the coach. So I don't, I don't hate on the fan necessarily for being upset. I do think the Michael Malone thing is a is a wonderful example, though. Well, well, real quick, context. I don't hate on any fan for being upset or irrational. I don't hate. You're allowed to be whatever kind of fan you want. Just understand, if you are making irrational judgments based on day to day, one day this guy sucks, 
Then the next day, this guy sucks. Well, then the next time he pitches, he pitches fine. You can't make decisions based on one thing you see or a small sample size. That I do agree with. But I do think there are times that, you know, and I know it's kind of a beaten dead horse, but the Jonathan Gannon situation is an example of you had one group of people who were being completely irrational about Gannon, about the blitzing and all those things. They had another group of people who said there is a clear and obvious issue that has shown up in multiple games and he has not made a difference. And so for the fan who's articulating a problem they've seen in four or five games is someone I'm going to say, hmm, that's interesting compared to the person who says he stinks, he doesn't blitz. Here is one problem that we have, okay? Take the Miami Heat, for instance. Sure. If they were the Philadelphia 76ers and had the regular season that they had, we would think the team stinks, the coach needs to be fired, they, they're not good enough. Right. They were, I think they finished as the seventh seed, but were in the play-in game. And they lost. lost to the Hawks, right. so became the eighth seed. Correct. If they, if the Sixers were forty four and thirty eight, which I think is what the Heat's record was, we would think the coach stinks, right? We would blame the Eric Spolster would be the problem. If the team was forty four and thirty eight, Sixers fans would think Spolster's the problem, would they not? I mean, that would be their gut instinct, probably. Sure, I, I could throw. So you see can't that. say that at forty four and thirty eight, he's would be the problem, and now they're in the playoffs. So. Sports fans, I think one problem with the fans they have a, that they're having a hard time with is evolving their opinion of not what they know about the sport, but that the game has changed. The regular season doesn't matter as much. The Heat's regular season to us would be unacceptable. Would it not be? I mean, in theory, but the problem is, is with it, you know, the conversation we were having all last week with the Sixers is, you want the team to win in the regular season, but then you complain when they don't win in the postseason. So which is it? Is it more important to win 44 games in the regular season and be up 3-0 in the conference finals or win 55 games in the regular season but then lose in the second round? You know what I mean? It, it's they, You can't have your cake and eat it too all the time. Right. So I go back, I go back to this whole, like the Heat are a very interesting dynamic here. If the Sixers had the same regular season as the Heat, that would, we would deem that to be unacceptable. We right. would probably blame the coach. The coach stinks. He has to go. This team has no heart. They're not good enough. They lose games they shouldn't lose. They lose on Tuesday night in February. They lose bad games. It's hard for the fan to, and it was, it's look. When I was like a hardcore fan every day, it's hard to come to terms with this game doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. But the organizations don't view every day as a must-win game. Right. We heard Daryl Morey explaining that they view the regular season as an opportunity to prepare for the postseason. Yeah, like – I say Tuesday night in February all the time. You know, like that's kind of been something that people – Tuesday night in February – you start to hear that more and more now, though. I've been saying this for years. Tuesday night in February is not a big deal if they lose that game. They yeah, just don't care. It's not the end of the world. And I don't think they literally don't care because I know there's somebody out there shaking their fists. They at the know radio. it doesn't define who they are. That Correct. It's it's the idea that 
the regular season is not the end-all, be-all, because if you want to win a championship, which, you know, isn't that the whole reason why Doc Rivers got fired because he couldn't get out of the second round? If your goal is to win a championship, then Tuesday in February is not as important as Tuesday night in May. Yeah, and you again, I, like it, that to me is a interesting. The whole dynamic of the Heat, I don't think it's going to change fans' minds. No, there's a lot not. of fans out there who think they are really smart, and I get people that tell me I, I know more than you, and I'm the most the smartest uh, fan, whatever. <laughs> like everybody thinks they're the smartest, right? It's not like, hey, I think you know more about baseball than I do, or I think you know more about basketball than me. I, I, we just have different opinions. It doesn't mean you're smarter than me, or I'm not smarter than you. We just have different opinions. Nobody's opinion is a hundred percent right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Sometimes you're right, other times you're wrong. Sometimes I'm right, and other times I'm wrong. But I know this. 44 and 38 is not good. That's just an average team. And if the Sixers were 44 and 38 for 82 games, people out there would be screaming and yelling that the coach needs to go and this team needs to be broken up and the process was a waste and yada, yada, yada. So how do you explain their postseason success? Well, for example, they were talking about the low post podcast that the Bobby Marks brought up that the Miami Heat had the second most injured team in the NBA this year during the regular season. That they had the second most players missing games due to injury. So, in many ways, the Miami Heat are an anomaly, just like the Lakers. The Lakers imploded half their roster at the trade deadline, swapped out basically almost like parts on a car, basically. And they, they they were a car that could barely, you know, get started in the morning and now they're revving on on a v8 engine so you could argue that you know you can't make an apples apples comparison because both of those teams they got in through the playing tournament but they also had the most ridiculous path to get there i just hope actually i don't hope i like fans that are irrational it keeps me having a job (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if you guys were just laid back fans, I, I probably wouldn't be necessary. But that said, we like to have a good time together, right? We, we laugh. But I wonder if the irrational fan guy starts to look at things a little differently and say, you know what? These 82 games really don't matter. Or, look, the Phillies are struggling right now, but they're probably going to get better, you know? You don't just go from the World Series to all of a sudden, like, you're the worst team in the league. I think there's a happy medium between being it's the end of the world as we know it and... Well, here's the thing. You know what I mean? Here's the big thing here that I think with big this thing. whole situation. One the big percentage thing? chance of your team winning the World Series is the lowest. Correct. So more times than not, by saying the team isn't good enough, you're going to be right. Yes, because only one team can win. Only one team ends up winning. Right. So in the end, you can be miserable fan guy that says they're not good enough, they're not good enough, they're not good enough, they're not good enough. And in the end, you can finally get your chance to say, I was right. I told you they weren't good enough. (laughs) That's the easy way out. So you can be the guy that says, I know more than you. I told you weren't, they weren't good enough. (laughs) And ultimately, if they don't win the World Series, which is the only ultimate goal, then you could say I was right and you were wrong. But in actuality, 
you might not win the World Series, but you were good enough to do it. I do. You just didn't do it, but you were. If you're in the finals, if you're in the World Series, you are good enough. You just weren't the team that won. I do have a quick follow-up question because we saw a intense amount of teams fire their coaches this offseason. It's always the coach's fault. You know, well, do you think NBA teams will look at the Nuggets and maybe no. reevaluate a little bit? No, no, I don't think so. Well, you know, those who don't learn from history are doing the repeat it, so. I don't think that will be the case. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Uh, maybe we'll play some of these. We had other bites that we wanted to get to. We'll, maybe we'll try to sneak <laughs> them in on the other side. Sports Bash, David Sampson, host of <laughs> One of my favorite new uh, podcasts. Uh, it's coming up tonight at 530. Um, oh, by the way, the podcast is called Nothing Personal with uh, Dave Sampson. Like this show. It's not personal. I, I don't. Like I said, I'm not right. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm not right. We just have difference of opinions on a lot of things, apparently. <laughs> but we'll discuss with Dave tonight at 530 on the Sports Bash. Now. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Bash on 973 ESPN. All right, 550, uh, 453 Sports Bash. 553, I'll be out of here. And done for the week. I'm out the rest of the week. But Sports Bash is live with you in 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Jay in Atlantic City says, Mike, stop trying to be nice. You know you both are normally right and most of us are normally wrong. Let's be honest, the general public is at least 80% of them are absolutely brain dead. Now, Jay, I wouldn't go that far. 80% is a high number. Got people that, look, I think being a day-in and day-out fan is awesome how people have the ability to kind of be that passionate every single day and then formulate an opinion every single day like I see people who go this team stinks to their back <laughs> and it's like 24 hours man <laughs> what changed it kind of makes you jealous though, doesn't it like they, they can they I can wish I that. could get to that point and maybe I don't it's too much <laughs> look I'm one of those people that have accepted that one day you can look great. And the next day you're not going to look that good. Right. It just, can you look great more than you don't look good more times than not? Because you could be, we've seen this how many times? Team can win 107 games. They get to the playoffs and they're not playing their best baseball. Doesn't mean you weren't a good team. It just means on that day, that team was better than you. How many times have you played a game where you weren't good enough on that day or your teammates weren't good enough and you were like, I brought it. They didn't bring it. Right. You don't know what's going on in everybody else's life on that day. Who's better on that day is what ultimately matters the most. When you come to terms with that, being a fan is going to change with you forever. You know, it's it's just like you're either ready on that day or you're not. It yeah. doesn't mean you're not better than that team or it doesn't mean that long, big picture that you're not the better team. But on that day, you weren't good enough. Right. At that moment in time, it just wasn't your day. It's, you know, it, I, I heard somebody else say, you know, not every day can be your day at the office. 
Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Dave Sampson, former president of the Marlins at 5.30 tonight. We'll talk a little bit about that, you know. And I want to get his thoughts. What is the NFL telling their fans? Yesterday in the 5 o'clock hour, we started to get into four Sixers questions for the offseason. We only got through one of the four questions. So we'll try to answer the other three coming up next. I do want to play this Candy audio and this Monica McNutt audio as well. So we'll maybe start the hour off with that, maybe morph it into the other here on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. Plus, Ime Odoka, he commented in his press conference the other day. He didn't sound like James Harden is a fit for Houston. That's all coming up next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Uh, while it's Frank Vogel, according to reports, has interviewed for the Sixers head coaching job, we knew that he was a candidate. But according to John Clark at NBC Sports Philadelphia, Vogel interviewed with the Sixers today, won an NBA championship with the Lakers three years ago, was out of the NBA this season, is a candidate for multiple jobs, and the Sixers are one of them. So Wildwood High's Frank Vogel interviewed with the Sixers today. There had been a report or a rumor that he flew into town. I guess that rumor is true. And Frank is interviewed with Sixers. He is the second name. And by the way, Paul Hudrick tweeted he could, he confirmed that Vogel has interviewed for the job with the Sixers today. So I guess we could start this hour there. Nick Nurse, Frank Vogel. Uh, I would imagine there's going to be more, four candidates in all. We don't know if they're all going to get interviews, but the Sixers were said to have six names on their list, Vogel being one of them. You know, Vogel is a name that obviously in this area people know. Won an NBA championship, had a pretty uh, solid career with the uh, Indiana Pacers. He was the post-Larry Bird coach in Indiana. And look, they had some solid teams out there that Vogel um, was the head of. I think he did a really good job with those Indiana teams. Remember, he was an assistant coach in Boston. He was an assistant coach in Philly for a season. I think he was on Jim O'Brien's staff in Philadelphia. That was back in 0405. I think Jim O'Brien, who was a terrible fit here in Philadelphia. Many people thought O'Brien, because he was a Philly guy and he had some roots here, and he was a Boston coach. Uh, Jim O'Brien did a terrible job in his one season. Vogel was on that staff. Then he went to Indiana and Bird stepped down, Vogel stepped in, and he did a really good job. He won 56 games one season in Indiana. They had a run uh, to the NBA Finals, and they just conference, uh, conference finals. My bad. Uh, they just couldn't get past those Miami um, LeBron teams. Is really um, the problem was at that point there. But he gave them all they could. I mean, he he went back and forth. He got fired in Indiana. And I always say, Vogel, to me, is like the poster child for an NBA coach. You know, you had a good team in Indiana. He was a good coach. He had a bad team in Orlando. He wasn't. Like, in Orlando, he was there for two years. He won 29 games and 25 games. He got fired. Uh, so he was 54 and 110 
in Indiana, uh, in, in Orlando. Does that mean he's not a good coach? I, I don't know what it means. He just didn't have good players. You're not going to get, you know, you're not going to win if you don't have good players. In Indiana, they had Paul George kind of in his prime, and he got those Indiana teams, I think, as far as they probably should have gone. I mean, they, the one series, they went seven games with the Miami Heat. At, with LeBron, at like that was peak LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. Uh-huh. Yep. So, I mean, you could argue that he got the most out of those Pacer teams. And, uh, by the way, in one year in Indiana, he won 56 games. But he only won 50-plus games once in Indiana. He won 52 games in L.A., and they won the NBA championship that He's year. He's still been the more conference finals than the Sixers have in the last 20 years. And they were 52-19. and 19. <laughs> That was the bubble. Of course, they won the bubble championship, uh, the the uh, Lakers did. And then they went 42-30, and 30, and then they were 33-49, and 49, and he was let go. And uh, he did not coach this past season. Um, he was, you know... Coach of the year, he's been in the voting for the coach of the year a couple times. He finished in the top five three times for coach of the year. That doesn't do anything for you. Normally, when you win coach of the year, you end up getting fired. That's true. (laughs) You win a championship, you get fired. But I'm interested, you know, how many people out there listening think that Frank Vogel, I just feel like for the most of the listeners, he does have local ties. He's a Wildwood Hall of Famer, Wildwood High School. For whatever reason... You would think this area would be like, that's the no-brainer guy. Do you get that vibe? No. I feel like the area is is still so deflated about the Sixers not going far that they're... Yeah, but don't... They, I think this is the weird part about this, and this is why I, I don't know that I agree with that. The Sixers fans hated Doc Rivers and wanted him fired. I would say an overwhelming amount. 80%, is that low? I think it's about right. You would think once they fired Doc Rivers that there would be a standout pick from that group of people. I don't want Doc Rivers, and this is the right guy. I don't have a feel that people have come together and said, this is the right guy. No, there has there's, there's no consensus. No consensus. Not a standout player or a coach, I should say. Nope. So how many people out there listening think Mike D'Antoni or Frank Vogel's the right guy or Mike D'Antoni's the right guy or Nick Nurse is the right guy? Who is kind of the guy that you want in this position? So Nurse interviewed the other day. If you want Nick Nurse, you might have to act quickly on Nick Nurse. Correct. He is a candidate for multiple teams. Frank Vogel has been a candidate for other teams, but... Is he the right guy for this job? I don't know what people think about that. I'm kind of intrigued. You know, I'm, you know, to me, it's funny. My buddy, who thinks a lot higher of NBA coaches and their impact on teams than I do, I'm telling you this the other day. Yeah. So I said, well, there are three guys who have been NBA champions. He said, well, I'm not interested in them. What do you mean you're not interested in them? They won the NBA championships. I don't care. I don't want those guys. Well, you just got done telling me how big of an impact the coach makes. Yeah, well, I'm allowed to think they have an impact and not want those particular guys. So do other people out there feel the same way? Like if I told you, well, Doc Rivers won an NBA championship. I feel like there's a disconnect for some people between, okay, well, what do you want? You know what I mean? Like it's this attitude of, Okay, you didn't like what you had. Okay, it's, it's like you. Let's go to the car analogy, right? You don't like the car you're driving. 
You go to the lot, and, and the salesperson walks you on the lot and says, I got all these great cars. All these cars are within your budget range. And you got some really nice options. And you're like, nah, I don't like any of them. And the car sales guy, you don't like any car on this lot at all? And I feel like that's what's going on here. It's like you have these options that are all, in theory, better than what you have, but you don't like any of them? How does that even work? Um, I don't know. I mean, there's times when I've been to a store trying to find a shirt, and I say there's not one shirt in here I like. But you eventually still find a shirt. <laughs> Maybe, but... Maybe <laughs> of, of the six options I currently have, right? I can't fault people for not having their option because I don't have one yet either. But I also look at the coach differently than people. Like if you told me, "Where's Doc Rivers on my list of what what the team's problems is?" I, I wouldn't have him in my five. Right. Yeah, you've been very clear about that, and I agree with you. I I, I can come up have... with five things. That I would say this Sixers team has problems that, that were a Sixers problem above before I got to Doc Rivers. Yeah, and you and I do agree on that. My question is though, and I would ask the listeners as well: if you don't like the the group of coaches, what do you like? Well, that's the thing. I asked my buddy, and you know what he gives me? I said, "All right, you don't like Vogel." You don't like Nurse. You don't like Budenholzer. Okay, those guys won championships. All right. Do you like D'Antoni? No. Do you like Sam Cassell? No. Do you like Monty Williams? No. Do you like anything? I said, well, give me a name you would be happy with. He says Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson? Mark Jackson is the one guy that I think a lot of people think kind of got a raw deal maybe with the Warriors and thought that he did a good job with the Warriors. But why hasn't any other team ever hired this guy? Well, I mean, there was an article in The Athletic, I think it was a year ago, that talked about that there's a perception around the NBA that Mark Jackson was difficult to deal with and that he was – now, I'm not saying this. This is The Athletic article. The Athletic was saying that apparently Mark Jackson at times – kind of projected his religious beliefs onto the team in the environment. Yeah, I, I was going to say there was this belief that Mark Jackson, like, you know, let's say Joel Embiid was injured. Mm -hmm. That Mark would try to push him to go to a higher power to take care of that injury. Was that Correct. is yes. that the uh That's a very fair way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, that he really had this feeling of, you know, um yeah, that you had to go down that route to get healed. Yeah, it was a little bit of a oh, it's in God's hands kind of attitude, which I mean, listen, I I am I myself am a Christian, but I would never tell somebody, you know, don't listen to the doctors, for example, about your injury. <laughs> yeah. So Mark Jackson was one guy. Uh, 609-403-0973. Uh, Mike, as you would say, Frank Vogel doesn't push anybody's pile around Philly or us down in Delaware. I would say Monty and Nurse should be the leaders in the clubhouse. But, okay, I don't know what this guy's name is, but, uh, oh, Matt in Delaware. Matt followed up with a text with his name. Matt nice. in Delaware. See, you're in Delaware. It might not push your pile 
But on the Jersey side, I mean, he's from Wildwood. Right. He's he's one of the people down here. So you would think, you know, so many times that infiltrates, you know, like Phillies fans, they want Chase Utley to be the coach or they want Seth Joyner to be the defensive coordinator. Right. They want somebody who has ties to the team or the area to be the coach. Like that excites people. I just don't feel that. For whatever reason, maybe if I was down in Wildwood for the weekend, maybe that would be different. I don't know. I just don't feel like people are like, there's this ground swell of, that's got to be the guy. He's from here. He gets the fans. Maybe I'm wrong. Am I? 609-403-0973. Terry and Galloway, the coach can't help this team. The decisions made on player personnel over the last six years rivals only the Oakland Raiders in ineptitude. That's not a bad um, comparison. They've made a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of bad decisions Weird in the front office. Too. That being said, Terry, the Raiders are not even close to a Super Bowl. The Sixers are at least sniffing a NBA championship. They are one of the few. Think about this, people. For everybody who thinks the 76ers are such a mess, and I'm not trying to convince you that they haven't made bad personnel decisions, because they have. Um, Three weeks ago, I'm not talking about a long time ago. I'm talking about three weeks ago. They were in the playoffs, still alive, and were the betting favorite to win the NBA championship. Okay? They were the betting favorite to win the NBA championship three weeks ago. They're not all that bad. You know how many teams would love to be in the conversation to be the betting favorite to be an NBA champion with a month left in the playoffs? I mean... I know it's frustrating for us, but they were right there. Think about this, okay? I want you guys to think about this. It might piss you off more, but think about it. The 76ers play the Boston Celtics. They were at home with about five minutes left in that game. They were winning that game. And then Boston all of a sudden gets hot and ends up winning that game. And then they went scorching hot in game seven, like historically hot. In fact, so hot that Jason Tatum scored more points in a game seven than any other player in NBA history. They have been obnoxiously cold when you're watching them in this series. Why couldn't they be cold in game six? Why couldn't they be cold in game seven? Why all of a sudden, this is what we talk about. Well, on this day, they were really hot. It's a make-or-miss league. Well, they missed a lot in game six. And then in the last five minutes of the game, they decided Jason Tatum was one for 13. And then all of a sudden, he got hot. And then he stayed historically hot in game number seven. If Jason Tatum just stayed historically cold, which is what he was for the first three and a half quarters of that game, he was historically cold. If he just stayed historically cold... The Sixers are playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, and who knows what's going on. And I know, miserable guy out there says, well, they'd be down 3-0 to the Heat then, too. 
There's no guarantee. We don't that. know that. Styles make fights. People don't realize that the big reason why Miami is de- is up 3-0 on Boston is because of the fact that Boston is basically having their soul grinded out of existence by a Miami Heat team that is a bad matchup for them. I think if the Miami Heat did not face Boston, I don't know if they're up 3-0 in this series. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the way the Heat are playing right now, and then you got to add this factor in. The Jimmy Butler against the Sixers. That's true. Would you be getting an even better Jimmy Butler? Or would Jimmy be up in his feelings and uh, maybe uh, check out a couple times? I don't think so. I, I mean, to me, Butler's not that kind of guy. Butler's the kind of guy that is uberly focused. And if you put something to make him even more focused, even more razor sharp, he probably would be more razor sharp. So the Butler against, like, look, when we were talking about possible playoff matchups, uh, most people wanted to try to avoid Miami. Remember? Right. There was a time where Miami was coming around to getting out of the play-in area. And we kept saying, oh, you just don't want to get stuck playing Jimmy Butler in the first round. Well, they just kept losing. Right. <laughs> they just kept losing. And you didn't have to play Jimmy Butler in the first round. And you thought that Milwaukee would take care of them. Well, that didn't happen. And then you thought that if you could win against Boston, that that would be your most difficult um, obstacle. Well, that didn't happen. You got knocked out by them. And now they're getting blitzed. So, obviously, the Sixers were close. That text message from Terry, the coach can't help this team right now. I'm not a big coach, you know, blame the coach guy. But what I do think the coach can do is set a new culture here. And maybe that's what needs to be stabilized. The problem is, look at Denver. They've kept the same coach. Their culture is stabilized in Denver. Philadelphia keeps changing the GM, changing the coach. This will be the third coach now in, what, four seasons? It's hard to win like that. you got to get someone in here that can really stabilize a culture and cultivate a culture. Is that Frank Vogel? I don't know. I mean, he was in Indiana for one, two, three, four, five seasons, I think, as the head coach. I mean, he was the assistant coach there. So he was there for a while. He only had two years in Orlando. He had three years in, in L.A. Is he the guy who's going to change the culture? Nick Nurse. He was in uh, Toronto. Toronto for five seasons. You had Budenholzer. He was in uh, Milwaukee for how long? What, four years? I think he was there for four years. So you've got to find someone. I think Monty Williams, if you're looking at someone that can – change the culture and cultivate a culture. Five years for Budenholzer? Yeah, it was five years in Milwaukee, five years in Atlanta. I guess that's his uh, his shelf life. Yeah. He's a five-year coach. Get him while he's hot. Well, guess what? <laughs> you can make a strong argument that Joel Embiid doesn't even have five strong years left. I say three to five for Embiid. That's my shelf life on Embiid. Is like three to five years before you probably say that's we're we're getting the best out of him. Right. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Mike, I like Mark Jackson. I like the way he speaks. Uh and he seems like a leader. Apparently he was pretty religious. He had some other uh things to speak about when he was in Golden State. Yeah, he had some he had some issues out in in, in San Francisco when he was out with with that team. 
Oakland. Yeah. I guess uh, they were in Oakland at the time. They were in Oakland at the time, yeah. But yeah, they, And I think that's one of the reasons why he has not got another coaching job. He has not gotten a sniff at anything. And I think that that should be a sign in and of itself. Like, it's a huge difference for like Eric B. Enemy has been interviewing for jobs, not getting the jobs. <laughs> Mark Jackson has not even interviewed for a bunch of jobs since he lost the job. And that should tell you something. Yeah. I, I don't know that Jackson uh, – and by the way, he's not a candidate for the Sixers job. So let's remember that as well. He, he's not one of the six guys that is even on the list. You got Vogel, though, interviewing for the job today, a local guy. Would he be your favorite guy? If he got that job, if Frank Vogel was announced, man, he really just knocked the blew the doors off Sixers ownership today. And they announced by the end of the show – we love that we heard from Frank. We don't even need to talk to anybody else. This is the right guy. Would people be on board with that? It sounds like they'd be pretty lukewarm on it, honestly, because it feels it sounds like to me, Mike, that there's a lot of people who just they're just not happy. They're not happy with the candidates, they're happy with the situation. Well, I, I think they're not happy and they don't really know what they want. It's oh. almost like they're confused on how we got here? Well, just on what is this team missing? What is life? What is the essence of life? Well, it, it, it there's a lot of, you know, is this Joel Embiid? Do they move on from Harden? Do you bring back Harden? We brought up earlier today, we were going to get into the four offseason questions, but uh, that Vogel news just kind of came down. So... I could quickly um, – let me bring them back up here. I had them in uh, my rundown sheet from from earlier today. Let me quickly kind of go through the questions. We went through the first one yesterday. It was about the coach. That's the number one. These are Michael Kasky, Blumane, four biggest questions. Number two. Uh, number one was who will be the next head coach. I don't have the answer to that question, nor do I have a favorite right now. I, 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 I just don't have one guy that I'm like – you have three guys with one championship, so they all bring something different. Two, will James Harden be back with the team? My intuition says yes. I never saw Houston as a viable option. So I say yeah. I think that now there's some other things out there. Oh, he's looking for four years, 200 million, and there's teams out there that will give it to him. I think Harden's team is just swinging wildly here. This is like a rough and rowdy fight. These guys are just swinging out of their shoes trying to get the Sixers to bite, I think. I think ultimately Harden wants to get as much money as he can for one more. He, he knows this is his last shot mm-hmm. to get a big contract. Look. And I, I think that he – now, this is my opinion. I have no sourcing on this. But I believe that him and Maury last summer sat down and Maury said, look, if it doesn't work out with this year, you take a discount, I will let you go into free agency and get your money and no hard feelings. You know, and I think that's So do you Harden, think Harden will be back? I don't know if Harden's back. I, I, I think he'll be back. I don't know if he'll be back because I think there's a part of Harden. I don't think he's going to find the market he thinks is out there for him, and ultimately the Sixers will take him back. I just feel like there's always that one team. That for the reason pays. I just said, by the way, they were the betting favorite to win the NBA championship three weeks ago. They, I, I don't think they look at this team as gloom and doom like the fans do. And I don't think you can win a championship with James Harden. I don't either, but I don't think they agree with me. Number three, will Tobias Harris be traded? I actually think that Maury will find a way to do this. I agree about that. So that is something I think that Daryl Maury will do. Will Tobias Harris be traded? 
I think Maury will find a way to move Harris. I think he understands that Harris is making way too much money for the production that he brings. He's a good guy and all that stuff. But I think Maury understands the optics of Harris. And if they can move him, that may change the optics of bringing back Harden. Yeah, especially if you get, like, for example, and I I don't know if this is actually going to happen, but I looked it up the other day that Siakam and Harris both have almost the exact same contract in terms of money and in the last year of their deal. You know, if you traded Jaden Springer and Harris for Siakam, let's say, you know, does, does Siakam replacing Harris make enough of a difference? I think so. Well, Siakam replacing Harris is a huge difference. Right. So then you get Embiid, Siakam, PJ Tucker. I don't think Toronto does that. Maxi and Harden. You know, is How that, many years left on the Siakam deal? It's in the last year of his deal. Oh, they both only have one They're year? both in the last year. And it's almost the exact same money each. I don't do that deal if I'm Toronto unless I'm just literally saying the same thing to Sixers. We're stuck in the middle. We're just going to bring a different guy in here. But it's not like you're bringing a guy in here who, like, Siakam at least has been an all-star player. Right. Harris, I guess, is like, uh, I would do that deal in a second if I'm the Sixers. A second. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying it's literally, but I'm saying it. You have to look at these things in the NBA and see how the money lines up. Uh, Dave Sampson. By the way, the last question is, which of the pending free agents will be back? Uh, Niang, Milton, Jalen McDaniels, and Paul Reed is a restricted free agent. I would think that probably none of those guys are back. I think Paul Reed's back. No, Reed's a restricted free agent. So the, he's different. Unrestricted. Yeah. Uh, Dave Sampson, former president of the Miami Marlins, going to get into his mind on the business of sports. That's coming up next. Always a fun conversation. That's coming up here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, 531 Sports Bash. I'm Mike Gill. What's up, everybody? I uh, got this text message. If Harden comes back, I will not be renewing my tickets. I can't stand him. <laughs> Jeez. All right. Uh, good stuff. Keep the text messages coming. We were talking about this earlier in the show. I want to bring it back. I was listening to uh, Dave Sampson, Nothing Personal, the podcast weekday mornings, 8 a.m. on the YouTube channel. You can check it out live or any of your podcasting platform. What is the NFL telling their fans? You know, what goes on with the owners of team, team presidents in these meetings where all of a sudden they went from, hey, we're not going to do Thursday night flexing to, hey, we're going to do Thursday night flexing. Uh, pretty interesting dynamic there. Dave Sampson is back with us, back by popular demand. People wanted to hear more from Sampson, so he's back. What's up, Dave? How are you? I am great. How are you? We're doing good, man. So uh, yesterday, the owners decided to change their minds. Voila! Flexing Thursday nights. Take us inside the dynamic of how something like this happens from someone in your position and your perspective on not flexing to flexing. 
Well, as you know, it's just about the money. And so it's not that the owners changed their minds. Amazon wanted this from the beginning. They just didn't have the votes. You need 24 votes in the NFL to get something done like this. And the last time the owners got together, they just didn't have it. So they made some adjustments. And some of the adjustments are that you can only do this if you announce it 28 days in advance. So that means that if you're a fan who buys a ticket to a Thursday night game or a Sunday game, you could find out 28 days prior to your travel that your game has switched, either from Sunday to Thursday or Thursday to Sunday. And they can only do it weeks 13 to 17. Oh, they can only do it twice out of all those weeks. And then they got the minimum number of votes to pass with people like the Giants and teams like the Packers still voting against it. Why does Amazon want this? Because they don't want any stinkers. And last year, they got a bunch of stinkers. And the NFL wants more money from the streaming services. Therefore, they have to give in to the needs and wants of the streaming services. And that's what you're seeing here. At what point, Dave, does the other networks say, you're bending over backwards for them. What are you doing for us? I know Monday you can flex them. Sunday you can flex them. But what about CBS and Fox that say, hey, what are you doing for us? We've been with you this whole time. So that's a great question. Let's talk about inside a ballpark where you've got season ticket holders and then you've got people who buy tickets in the upper deck and then they come down and they sit fourth row behind the dugout. An usher comes up to them and says, may I see your ticket? And then he gets booed and everyone says on social media how mean the owners are and the president is. But guess what? That would be like on an airplane, being in coach and just walking up to first class and sitting in a seat and saying, that's okay, I can be there. Or in a hotel, buying a one little bedroom room and then saying, no, I'll just take the suite if it's open. You've got to protect the value of the people who pay. CBS and Fox pay a lot of money. There's going to be a point where they're going to say, hold on, you're treating everybody else nicer than you're treating me. We're going to want some concessions. We're going to want more ability to flex or we're going to want more exclusive windows. And that's my conclusion here. Exclusivity is the name of the game. And they're giving it to Amazon. Like in baseball, they gave it to Peacock. In the NFL, they gave it to Peacock. I believe you're going to see CBS and Fox wanting some exclusivity as well. Dave Sampson, nothing personal is the podcast. He was the president of the Marlins, the Expos. Uh, so he deals with this kind of stuff. As a president, do you like the road that baseball has traveled and football is following with the streamers? Are they ahead of the game or are they turning their back on their fans? It's like saying you don't like the sunset. It, you can say that, but it's coming no matter what you do. And that's how I feel about streaming. It's here. It's not going anywhere. And now what the leagues are trying to do is to figure out how to monetize it. But guess what? That's what everybody's trying to figure out. All of these different streaming services are figuring out how to get more subscribers because subscription revenue is like gold. It's like the drug of these companies because it keeps coming month after month. And you've got to figure out how to get more of it. And the teams now have to figure out how to replace their cable revenue with streaming revenue, just like leagues are figuring out how to replace this revenue. So that's the work that's happening. But it's going to be years before they figure it out fully. All right. Do you think I was having this conversation the other day with somebody have the streaming services who also have cable options? Have they cannibalized themselves 
they have. So ESPN is a great example where they've got ESPN Plus where they're going to have an exclusive game. I think it's week four, maybe the London game with the Jaguars and the Falcons exclusively at 9.30 a.m. on ESPN Plus. And the question is, how do you keep ESPN Plus improving but still keep the subscription revenue that you get from the cable operators for ESPN. And there's going to come an inflection point. And what everyone in the industry is trying to figure out is when and where will that inflection point be where you've cannibalized it so much that the value of ESPN, let's say, has decreased so much that now you better get that revenue from ESPN Plus. But we're not there now. Yeah, like, for instance, I mean... You have like an entity, an entity like the WWE, for instance. They had a pay-per-view model that they ditched for this streaming model. Well, the pay-per-view was like seventy bucks to get the the, the wrestling, um, you know, uh, match, as opposed to paying nine ninety nine a month on streaming. Why does it make more sense for the nine ninety nine than the pay-per-view model? I can do the math for you very quickly and tell you that when you do nine ninety nine a month, you're going to get to seventy before ten months, and most people don't cancel. It just keeps renewing, and you never know what you have. You've got fourteen different streaming services, and it's funny there are people paying just as much, if not more, for the streaming services as they were when they just had cable. But what we're really talking about is the new pay per view is the a la carte, which is people actually paying for what they want. And that's where I think sports is going to go. And that's good news if you're a big market team like the Yankees or the Phillies. Bad news if you're a team like the Marlins, where not many people will pay to get Marlins games. Right. That's what I was going to say. So where is baseball going with these regional sports networks that are failing miserably? Uh, how do the teams, Marlins, uh, compete? How, what, where's this going now? So what you're going to see is hopefully an increase in revenue sharing, which means an increase in national revenue because in baseball, the national broadcast revenue gets shared equally amongst the 30 teams. The local revenue is kept. Now there's revenue sharing that we can talk about, but what these leagues are trying to do and what MLB is trying to do is get everybody's streaming rights in one pot, sell it as a group, and then split it evenly. Because someone will pay for the right to stream Yankees games more than the right to stream Marlins games. But if you combine them and then divide it by two, you're going to help lower and lessen the difference between the top payroll and the bottom payroll. And in baseball, that's the number one issue facing the integrity of the sport is you've got the A's at 35 million and the Mets at 380 million. And it's really hard to run a league that way. Uh, Dave Sampson, nothing personal is the podcast, uh, weekday mornings. It's live on YouTube. You can check it out if you want to watch it when it's done. I like to go live. I feel like there's something there with the live element, uh, that just is a little different. It's just my preference, but Dave, so you're, you're the team president of the Marlins. Your star player gets to the podium after a tough loss like LeBron James last night. He says, I have to think about something. Are you making a call to him immediately? Absolutely not. I'm not calling him for a month because anything LeBron James, and I said this on today's Nothing Personal, and I want to reiterate it to your audience. Anything a player says within a half hour of a loss or of your season ending, it might as well, you might as well ignore it completely. It is total emotion. Did you look at LeBron's body language at the end of that game? 
He was doing everything he could. It still wasn't enough. When his team was giving up offensive rebounds to the Nuggets, he had his hand on his hips. He was rolling his eyes. When other players were missing wide-open looks, he was upset. How much can he do alone? So frustrated. Of course he was going to think about retirement. We hear it from Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady after every season when their team either gets eliminated or wins. But this is Same the first question. time. This is the first time we've heard it from LeBron. Right. And we're now going to hear it every year he plays. It'll be the question. Will he come back? Is he coming back? If you have a chance to play with your son, you can bet you're going to do it. What I think that happens with LeBron is that he doesn't start the season with the Lakers. I think he plays a shortened season and I don't mean load management. I don't mean playing 60 games the way he barely does anyway. I mean, he literally gets a longer vacation because here's a weird stat. Opening day for the NBA is only about five months away. That's not a long vacation. No. LeBron's tired. He looked at last night. Um, how big was he in Miami? Like, was he the biggest huh. of the big that you, you've been in that market for a long time? Was he, cause we always think we're in the Northeast. We look at Miami as like they don't really care down there, but did they care about LeBron? The worst day of my career, 18 years in Major League Baseball, by far. Uh, other than the tragedy of Jose Fernandez's death, but I'm talking about things that are less important, like on-field stuff. The worst day of my career was the day that LeBron brought his talents to South Beach <laughs> because I knew that the Marlins were going to be even less relevant than ever, that the Heat were going to be the hottest ticket in town. Sponsorship dollars were going to go there. Season ticket dollars were going to go there. They were going to win championships, I was so happy when he left for Cleveland, I can't even tell you. Uh, four years, four finals, two championships. And keep in mind that he had won championships before LeBron even got there when I was with the Marlins. So the Heat have always been good. And just as I celebrated how bad the Dolphins have been, it was hard to deal with how good the Heat have been. Uh, Dave, we got some questions coming in. I want to get your take on. So this guy said, if Harden comes back, he will not renew his season tickets. You're a team president. Do those things that you consider when making personnel decisions? No. And I'm sorry to say it so abruptly. But <laughs> even if I got a thousand emails, I don't care because I'm focused on what my baseball people want and what I think is best for our team. That said, James Harden is not a championship player. I'm sorry to tell you that. I know the audience and I know what city I'm talking to right now. The best thing the Sixers could do is let James Harden go. Well, you got a guy who's the team president here making that decision. How is that relationship too close? Him and Daryl Morey? It's a great question. I was the opposite where there were players who I liked and had relationships with. And I would say to them, by the way, we're about to trade you or we're about to release you. You can't let emotions get in the way of decisions, which has impacted my life because I became an absolute robot, being totally unemotional. But you have to be. If you have a too close a relationship with a player, you end up making bad decisions. And are the Sixers good enough? That's what you have to ask yourself if you're Daryl Morey, how do you who's get a really good executive. How do you get to a point? All right, you got Joel Embiid. You're there, you lose. You're there, you lose. You're there, you lose. Do you... You, as the team president, have to say, hey, maybe he's not good enough or he's still a draw for us. We got to keep going. 
No, because that's not the draw. If I thought our team could be better by trading him, I would. And what the Sixers did is they said, getting there and losing, all right, let's blame the coach now. So they fired Doc Rivers. Now they get to start again. And that could be, I'm sorry and worried to say, it's possible if the firing of Doc Rivers was the beginning of them saying, let's run it back. Maybe Doc was the problem. We'll bring back Harden. We'll bring back everybody. And let's try again. And I'm here to tell you that it wasn't a Doc Rivers issue. It's the makeup of the team. And I put most of that on James Harden, who I really do not believe is a winning player. Yeah. So it's not always the coach's fault? I mean, I would always blame it because first you blame the coach, then you blame the GM. Then if you have to, you trade away players, but you never blame the president or the owner. Well, it's definitely not their fault. <laughs> Dave Sampson was the president of the Marlins. His uh, podcast at weekday mornings at 8 is called Nothing Personal. Well, I said... If the Sixers had the regular season that Miami had, 44 and 38, it would be the coach's fault. Everybody needs to be fired. Everybody has to go. And here they are in the conference finals. So it goes back to like how much and how little these regular seasons are starting to make mean. It's the biggest question facing the NBA right now. And Adam Silver is starting this in-season tournament to try to make regular season dates count more. He's adding money to players' pockets for caring about these in-season tournaments. For me, I'm trying to get people to buy tickets to games where I know my best players aren't always going to play. I know that it doesn't really matter because the majority of teams make the playoffs. And all you have to do is be hot in April, May, June. Look at the heat. It's a great example. The reason why you see load management is the players realize, I want to save my body. There's no reason to risk injury when I really just need to be healthy for the playoffs. We do it a little bit in baseball, but not much. Not much at all. Yeah. Because we want we want the players. It's sort of a routine. Baseball is a bigger routine game than basketball. Sort of the everyday routine. There are players who don't like getting days off, actually. Uh, Dave, I appreciate it, man. I will say this. It might be a little uncomfortable, but your South Beast session with Dan the other day, I really enjoyed it. It really gave a good view of your guys' relationship, and I thought it was very... I don't know your work in Miami. I just happened to come across the podcast. So whatever polarizing relationship is out there, but I thought it was a really good view of your guys' relationship. And I do appreciate you being very candid on it. No, I appreciate that. I think that in the beginning, nothing personal was 100% the audience of 10 people were all from Miami. <laughs> and now my audience is obviously around the country. I don't say obviously that sounded terrible, like a flex, but... I've built the show, and there's people who don't even remember that I was the president or don't care that I was the president of the Marlins. That was a job I did. The relationship with Dan has been a relationship I've had for a very, very long time, almost two decades. And the irony is that he always has to defend being friends with me or working with me, and that really does bother me because the majority of the Levitard audience, they're not from South Florida. They used to be when he was local. Now he's the number one national podcast. So yeah. for me, I think he's got, he's got to stop apologizing for it. Well, me, right? we had Dan on in our market before he left. Obviously, we were an ESPN affiliate. Uh, I, I don't even know how I stumbled upon your show. I, I don't, but I enjoy it. I thought that was a really cool uh, look into your guys' relationship. So Thank you. it was good. I appreciate, and I appreciate you jumping on. It, people, you were on the last time and people really enjoyed it to hear a perspective from someone who says, I'm looking at things like this and I run the team and that's how it goes. So it was a great perspective. So people asked for you back. So we got you back. We'll have to do it again, man. 
I look forward. Have a great day. Thank you. Dave Sampson, the podcast, 8 a.m. live on YouTube. You can listen to it anytime. It's called Nothing Personal. And he was kind enough to join me right here on the Sports Bash. Thanks to him. By the way, when we get out of here tonight, we'll close out the show with what you need to know on this May 23rd. That's next. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to... Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.